Hey folks, it's Scott with Leading Edge Archery. It's been a while on our podcast. And actually, we're doing something cool today. We're sitting on a couch. So I got to be careful because me and Chris are getting close. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's our casting couch. And we're videoing this, so we got to be really good. No picking your nose today. Sorry, Jesse. Jesse, no picking your butt. No promises. Yeah, no. I think Jesse's sad because he's the only one on the big couch. You could lay I down. Know. He could lay down. Dude, you can paint me like one of your French girls. <laughs> and this, could, this could be us questioning you like a like a psych doctor i'm ready do it gosh yeah got no, it. i don't want to know that what's would going be on a, I, I was going to say that'd be a really trip i don't want to take right yeah. now sorry folks. i'm way too sober for this yeah so we got some uh guest attendees today of course mr jason tabanski our sound engineer running everything as usual over there and we got jesse jones he's a uh, husband the of the world-renowned Paige jones who works for me she's my arrow guru and jesse's a stone cold killer she wants you, to be Who you want to be, Hunter, EJ Varos lover. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I got nothing. EJ's ESR. Oh, my bad. I already cussed. EJ's a killer. You could cuss. <laughs> <laughs> and then also we got Chris Freas. So Chris is one of our staff shooters who has a an amazing talent, which we're going to be rolling out and talking about today. Um, he's a, a fabricator, if I were to call it correct. I'm just some guy. He's just some guy. He's so full of crap. He's actually a guy who's very talented. Some guy with a face for a radio. Yeah. Well, yeah. he comes into me one day and says, hey, man, he goes, I want to I want to build a grip for my Hoyt. And I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go. You know, so I gave him a grip off one of the Hoyts that he can use as a mold. And what, four days later, I think? Yeah, in. pretty pretty close to that. This thing was sick. I was like, bro, it was factory. It looked yeah. fat. It was amazing. It was orange, I think, wasn't it? Or red? I, I made a bunch of different colors. I mean, it, it started with the... Uh, from the previous Ventums, yeah. they took the old wood grips from the Defiance from like 2015 and mm -hmm. I found out they fit. Well, they don't make them anymore. So I just started replicating them and, you know, pick a color. Everyone wants to match uh, grips to strings. So, Dude, it was unbelievable how good it was. So anyways, we got, got a chance to work with Chris and it's kind of kind of cool because we've been wanting to do this. And we're going to talk about what we're going to launch as a, as a business. Um, but before we get there, I got a rant. Okay, sweet. I do Let's this go. all the time. I know. I know. So it's just, right off the bat. It, yeah, exactly. And it's something I wanted to bring up because it was something that happened this, this weekend. Is, this is almost like <clears throat> Mr. Rogers comes in, takes his shoes off, and now I rant. <laughs> well, it's... Let's do it. You know, it's just people being... People? No, not even people. Assholes? Yes, that. Um, you know, people are just not nice anymore. People mm -hmm. are not cordial. They're not welcoming. They're, people are just jerks. I hate to say it, yeah. and maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm seeing it more often and I didn't pay attention to it when I was young. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I went fishing this weekend. As you always know, I'm, I'm a bass fishing freak. Uh, I love doing it. Um, made the big mistake of buying a bass boat about six months ago now, and it's the tail end of spring season, so I've been on the lake a lot. And uh, this past weekend, I, you know, I ran into Dickhead 1 and Dickhead 2. And it's kind of sad to say, but what I've seen in hunting for a long time, mm -hmm. um, you're now seeing in fishing. And I didn't think they would ever cross-pollinate that way. But let's be honest, public hunting right now on public land is becoming a pain in the ass. Yeah. I, I mean, confirm. it's all about me. You're in my area. You're in my woods. I've been on these deer. I've been on these elk. I've camped here for four years. Yeah, I've been here for, you know, and it's just, it's turning into this, you know, and I hate to say it. It's not even just the hunters. 
it's even becoming a state problem. Let's be honest. We, as Texans, spend a lot of time in the mountains of Colorado. Mm -hmm. They hate us there. Seriously. Of course. Coloradans hate Texans. Which is crazy because that's how they make their money. They don't care. That's how, I mean, I lived there for 15 years and all the tourists that come in, that's, that's your livelihood is the summertime. They come in, spend all your money, you make all your money in the summer. And then you have all the locals, like you work at a bar, you do a construction, uh, you, you own a restaurant, right. run a restaurant, work at a restaurant, do little stuff like that. But the majority of your income comes from the three months in the summertime when all the tourists come in. Right. And then hunting season a little bit, but not as much as the summertime. Oh, it's crazy. So, you know, these people, they get and, and to your point. They make a, what a third of their tax revenue during that time it from leaves. out of, from out of staters, mm-hmm. but yet they hate us, you know, because they were up there killing their elk in their mountains on their property mm-hmm. in their campsite. I mean, I've heard it all. It's unbelievable, and I've noticed that getting worse and worse and worse over the last. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, but <clears throat> the last five years, I want to say it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and people are becoming so. Selfish is the word I'm looking for. Yep. You know, now when you go run into a guy in the woods, you know, you got to worry about whether you and him are going to get into a verbal confrontation and argument about who's hunting whose area. Yeah. Instead of back in the day when I was a kid, me and my dad, we'd run into people periodically and he'd be like, hey man, you seen any deer today? You know, hey, you know, and you just start talking about the hunt and how it's going for you, whether it's good or bad. You, you're trading information. Yeah, especially if you're hunting different species, everybody's yeah. like, oh, yeah, man, we saw a big old mule deer over there. Go over there. Exactly. But now that doesn't happen anymore. And it just sucks. Well, that's strictly why I told you I'm not going to hunt over the counter elk anymore in Colorado. I'm just going to start sticking to draws or easier to draw units and yeah. hope there's less people in there. I mean, oh. Paige, Paige should draw a mule deer tag this year. Colorado released their bear licenses today. So, really? Neither one of us drew bear, but not a big deal. It's just kind of just a second secondhand tag. Right, right, right. Of, Open for, but if she draws our mule deer unit, she'll be able to buy an over-the-counter bear tag anyway. Right, right. But you, but you're gonna run into less traffic, hopefully. But you got <clears throat> that's why Colorado shut down all the southern western units. States, yeah, units yeah. to uh to, to over-the-counter. Yeah, you know, yeah. They shut over-the-counter yeah. to draw, which they just did two more units, which which are units I've hunted. There's only yeah, one. There's 80. only two units I've hunted, which is 68 and 79. They're still open. And neither one of those units are, they're not super great. No, they're not that great. Yeah. 68's just full of a bunch of muzzleloader hunters and, and they, nobody ever gets off the road. But then you do get off the road a little bit and then you'll find somebody in there and usually they're, they're kind of 50-50. I mean, I met, right. I met a guy up there, his name was Dan and he, he was all right. We, we exchanged information and I watched him, I actually watched him chase a whole herd over the top of the mountain <laughs> into 79. So I'd gotten my truck and drove all the way around and came up on top of the herd on the there other you, side. There you go. No, but the, but I don't know. I just wanted to talk and rant about it because it was brutal. I mean, these guys in the lake, they act like they're in the water. This, you know, I'm coming down this bank, and it's literally a quarter mile long, probably a half mile long. It's huge. And he's the only guy on, the, on that bank. And I came around the point fishing, and I get down within probably 50 yards of him. And this old man throws his hands up in the air and looks at me and says, you got the whole damn lake. And I just looked at the guy like, I, I even looked at Betty. I was fishing with her, and I said, I'm not even going there. I'm just going to shut up. I'm not saying a word, you know, but he and his wife, and then he, you know, he asked me if I, he thought I was somebody else. Apparently his wife figured out that he was kind of being a jerk. She started trying to be nice. And I was just getting pissed because I'm like, this guy's just a jerk. This bank is a half a mile long. 
and he acts like he owns it. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is my water. Yeah. You're trespassing on my, and what's even worse, he's fishing for panfish and I'm bass fishing with artificials and he's throwing live bait. We're not even doing the same thing. And it's just, but it just goes back to that whole mentality of selfishness. You know, back in the day, me and my dad would be, would have been fishing, doing the same thing, ran into that guy. And we would have literally said, Hey man, how's the day going? You catching anything? No, we're not. You know, we're trying this and that. We'd have been exchanging information and just talking and being cordial. Mm -hmm. You can't even do that anymore. These people now have gotten to the point and it happened two days in a row. You're in my area. You're in my space. This is what I own, this piece of real estate here. <laughs> and it's a public lake. Well, it drives the, me crazy. The other side of that is the guys that take advantage of and they go park right on top of you. Oh, yeah. No, so happens. it's, you know, that guy probably has someone park his boat right on top of him multiple times. He's like, here we go again. I mean, I used to fish out when I was in Houston out in Galveston, and there was a popular spot where you could launch a kayak. So what's in that area? You know, probably about 30, 40 people using kayaks. and. Oh, yeah. You know, I watched a dude lose a stringer, you know, the, you know, stinky pants stringers out there and yeah. they're 30, 40 bucks and it fell off the back of his kayak. So I picked it up. I paddled it over to him. He doesn't even turn around and said, Hey, is this yours? He goes, basically, you know, get the hell out of here. Cool, man. I got me a new stringer. So no kidding. went off to my own side. And then the other side is, you know, these bay boats are coming up and they're like, Oh, this dude's just on a kayak. Let's park on top of him. So, you know, I, you know, a little bit different out there, but it's the same thing. There's just, it's a sense of entitlement and almost no understanding. No, it's crazy, dude. I don't know if it's the same, but I used to see that in Florida fishing off the pier during Cobia season. Uh You go fish the end of the pier in in Fort Walton beach, Okaloosa Island. And you'd get, uh, you'd get these, uh, sportster boats that would come, I don't know, within 200 yards of the, of the pier. And people were launching five ounce jig heads at these boats. (laughs) I'm just, you know, get away like from here. Like bullets, bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they've got these big old surf rods, so you know they're getting about a 100-yard cast. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, and you could hear it every once in a while. Somebody get lucky, and you'd hear, ping, Yeah. somebody hit the boat, and I'm like, dude, you guys can kill somebody yeah, exactly. over a fish. They don't, they don't care. Yeah, it's stupid. No, people are, I'm telling you, it's getting, I don't see it getting any better either. And, you know, it's just, and maybe it's just this entire society and how it is now, and it's bleeding over into our outdoor recreational sports, which yeah. are supposed to be, a respite from that, getting away from it to recharge the batteries and, you know, be have humans some fun, again. be humans again. Yeah. And now you can't even do that because it's all, uh, it's crazy. I don't know. It's all for likes. It is refreshing God. when you run into somebody that is nice though. Cause uh-huh. I mean, we ran into a couple guys hunting this year. Yeah, they were, we they did. were good guys. hundred <clears throat> percent. I mean, you hope that majority of them are the, the good guys, but man, lately it's been, I'm batting a thousand on the other side of that fence, but either way, um, just go saltwater, dude. Same thing. I, it's it's, it's probably worse. Same. Same you know why? You know why I won't do that? So it's fun, kind of funny you bring up saltwater. So I, I don't know why this happened, but I got on this kick of watching these. Uh, if I ever get a chance to go watch it, go to. It's called Hallover Pass. Okay. H a u l o v e r. It's in Florida. Yep. I want to say in Boca Raton. I can't remember where. But this guy does. Um, videos over the boat ramps. It is hilarious watching these people that have oh, no yeah, clue yeah, yeah. how to launch a boat. I mean, I mean, so the other night I stayed up to like, I hate to, not proud of this, but two or three in the morning watching video after video after video. It is amazing how many people will drive their entire vehicle in 
to the water. Yeah. I'm talking back everything in. It's just, it's the most, it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. Like we, to your point, uh, it, you can make a show. What people do, they make them videos off mm-hmm. of it because it's so amazing. So funny. But saltwater is the worst. I've been to those boat ramps. Mm-hmm. They're horrible. Oh, yeah. At least in freshwater. I mean, typically, unless it's a pleasure boater type lake, like Lake LBJ versus Choke Canyon, which is a fishing lake, fishermen are pretty quick. I always tell people, when I used to fish on the tour, we would launch 200 boats, 30 minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just as fast as you can back them in. You're dumping and go, dumping and go, dumping and go. And uh, you'll sit there and watch a procession of five pleasure boaters. It'll take them two hours. Well, <laughs> I mean, you got the saltwater guys that are putting in these 30, 40 foot boats and with a, I don't know, a, a freaking explorer that doesn't yeah. have to ask for it. And they're sliding back and you're like, dude, that, that's not going to end well. No. That's not going to And then they don't know how to drive their boat. They don't know how to park it. Oh, they no. don't, it's, it's hilarious. These I mean, are the guys that take their boats out once or twice a year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The recreationalists. Get oh, the camera out. Yeah. Oh, get the camera out, dude, because something epic's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I watched one guy one time and he backed in his jet skis and he was literally crossing across like three lanes of the boat. Bro, jet skis around. are hard to back in. If, especially well, you can't if you got see a big him. truck and you can't see Yeah, him. you can't see him. Yeah, I, I imagine that's got to be tough. I and mean, there's backup cameras, Jesse. Now. Yeah, we didn't have it back in the day. My truck ain't got it. 2000, 2005 through nine, stuff like that when I was going out to saltwater. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, I bet it was for sure. But anyways, that was my rant. I just wanted to maybe... People listening, God, be nice. Gemini Christmas. Yeah, I was. Be anything. Be kind. Yeah, I'm not good at that sometimes either. But whatever. It so, happens. First of all, I want to apologize. I know we got some background noise. You guys are going to hear the fans going, but it's like 150 degrees in this room. It's hot. Yeah, because my middle air conditioner in this building is not working, so I got to call somebody about that. So we're going to try to edit that out. But if we can't, you're going to hear it. No big deal but that's part of it. As long it. as you can hear us. We're yeah, Jayward, you just got back from Gator Florida. Cup. Yeah. Florida, Gator Cup. How'd that go? Uh, first time back in USA Archery in two years. Man, I miss ASA. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it just in, in the weather alone. Yeah. I, I kept on texting back and forth with one of the, uh, with defaults that, yeah. that runs a lot of the ASAs out there and stuff like that. I was like, dude, I miss the trees. Like I'm sitting here in the sun roasting. Yeah. There's no shade. There's no uh, nothing. But um, yeah, it's just, it's weird. Uh, it, it was a strange feeling going back to USA Archery after shooting ASA for last, last year last and this year. year. Yeah, right. Um, I don't know. I kind of, kind of felt like I was cheating on my girlfriend. <laughs> um, but you overall. Girlfriend, we're, you're in a bind. Yeah. We won't tell the wife. The, um, the tournament itself was, was actually pretty good. You know, there was a good crowd. There's probably over 700 shooters. Yeah. Um, on the, on the senior able body <laughs> side, you had Mike Schlosser, uh, come over from Netherlands. You had Stefan Hansen, uh, his wife, Ada Roman from Mexico came over and shot recurve. So they had some pretty good competition on that. Uh, Paris side, we had quite a few shooters out there. So yeah, my goal was to go out there, shoot and, uh, shoot a score. So I did. And, uh, going to Chile in November. So you shot an MQS there. I shot a, International Paralympic MQS. Gotcha. Um, which allows me to go to Chile in November as gotcha. part of the team. Gotcha, so gotcha. Now I just got to go shoot two more tournaments and, and get back in it. But, you know, it's strange just shooting, shooting in an open field, um, adjusting to light, light conditions and things like that. 
eat stuff that we've talked about on, on previous podcasts, you know, point of aim and, and how oh, yeah. the light is, is hitting sun, um, <clears throat> sun, yeah. uh, wind versus no wind. And it's super humid. So your arrows are flying a little bit different. Yep. You know, there's a point early in the morning where I swear I saw my arrow had a vapor trail, <laughs> just humid and, and Florida. stuffy. Yeah. God, I um, used to live there. So no, it was good. It was, it was real good. I, I almost, um, I almost put one of Bridger's stories to the test on Friday when we're doing uh, our official practice. I noticed that my D-loop, uh, the top knot, was kind of coming through. I said, I think I can do it. And I I shot a couple more ends. I was like, no, okay. I'm going to talk to someone else and get a second set of eyes on it. So I called over uh, the new paracoach and I said, hey, John, what do you think of this? He said, dude, if it was me, I would change it. Um, the other thing is, do you want to spend every shot tomorrow thinking, is this the time that my D loop's going to go out and you're not going to focus on your shooting? I said, yeah, you're right. I'll do that. So I went to Lancaster, uh, went back to the hotel and I was sitting there in the hotel. I think I went through like five or six different D loops until I finally got the right feel. I almost flipped my mattress to shoot to a shoot couple it. arrows <laughs> just to see if it was feeling good. But yeah. Yeah. I swapped over my D loop the night prior, went out and shot and yeah, crazy. Did, did pretty good. So it's that little bitty 23 strand BCY you use, you know, that's why you can't get a good mushroom. BCY did. No, I, I normally, I do. The one that's on there is good. Oh, cause that um, stuff that Bridger uses is so thin. It is so hard to get the a good mushroom. Yeah. yeah. There's I, a trick to it. You've got to, what I found was I just take a set of pliers and hold the end, burn it, and then squash it with a second pair of pliers. And then it's it's good versus the, the regular D-loop material that, that we use here at the right, shop. The 24. Yeah, yeah. You actually get a good, good amount of thick material. Mushroom. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, but, a lot of work. So is USA Archery still alive and well? I mean, attendance was good? Yeah, I mean, attendance was good for, for USA Archery yeah. tournament. Um, lots, of, uh, lots of juniors, <clears throat> lots of kids. I there. thought gas prices would kill the kill the events a little bit yeah gas yeah. prices honestly weren't too terrible um once you get into east texas they were surprisingly a lot lower than they were here for us yeah louisiana was the cheapest i think we saw it under four dollars there um mississippi would it took me three tanks of gas honestly i, I filled up here in bernie um had to refuel i think the first one was six hours later as i was getting into uh like lake charles area right and then from there all the way to we made it to bucky's and foley which by the way if you build it they will come it's for, <laughs> for it's it's as true as it comes we rolled into bucky's and i want to say at least i don't know six out of ten tags were texas tags no way from people out there yeah so we stopped at bucky's and foley refueled and uh that got us all the way into gainesville with a little bit left over gotcha so gas wasn't too terrible um a lot of people flew uh, a lot of the pros, it was crazy talking to them because they were going straight from there to uh, London and then straight to SoCal. So, I mean, these guys are going from shooting IBO to USA Archery to ASA back right. to USA Archery. Right. That's so, crazy. Yeah. I know yeah. Paige Pierce put out a, a video about, about that, a video yeah. about changing so much as she has this year. And it sucks because, but... You know, it's part of it when you're going to, you're going to shoot at that level. That's for dang sure. Yeah. I was just curious because I thought gas, you know, I know it sounds crazy when we're talking about gas. So it's not that bad if it's under $4 a gallon. That's ridiculous. Everybody adjusts eventually. <clears throat> yeah, I think you do. But still, my Lord, it's Man. expensive right now. At this time last year, I mean, we wouldn't have even thought about no, this. No, no. Right, we were looking at gas in West Texas at four fifty nine a gallon. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think they're, I think they're price gouging. 450. Yeah, 450. Well, I got to drive to San Diego next week. Oh my God. So we're taking six to seven bucks a gallon. Yeah, we're there, taking bro. Courtney's car. Yeah, it's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. That's I, I told her we're going to be practicing this week on getting in and out of that car and breaking down my chair to put it in the back. Yeah. Because um, that little four cylinder will take up a lot less gas than oh. even, even the, the minivan or the, or the definitely not driving the truck. Yeah. No way. No. That would kill it. I mean, I get about 11 miles to the gallon on the truck. What do you get in the van? Um, we saw it all the way up to 29. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't take that over Yeah, I would take that over comfortability you, over the car. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are you getting in the other one? 30? On the, on the car? Honda? Yeah. yeah, on the car. Yeah, over 30. But I don't know if that extra four miles a gallon is worth the creature comfort. Yeah, but I also want to save miles on it. I mean, I bought this van in August. With like four miles on it, I'm at twenty two thousand right now. Yeah, that's your sick because you're crazy. And I still, I still have to drive to San Diego, come back, drive to Metropolis, come back, then drive to Coleman, and then possibly, I don't know yet, if driving out to Pennsylvania for outdoor yeah, nationals. You've lost your last brain cell, and you still got to get an elk set up. That's already done. Yeah, I still have to drive out to Colorado in September and then Utah. <laughs> you just need a new car. Yeah, you're <sighs> going to put, you might as well just say you're going to be at about 70,000 by the end of the year and there's no way around it. Well, no, I'm driving the truck to Colorado. Oh. I have okay. to. That's going to be a big bill. Yeah. From there to Utah and back to home. Yeah, you're going to spend over two grand on that trip in gas. It's worth it. Just let you know. Once in a lifetime milk, Well, baby. the reason I say that is I didn't draw an elk tag this year. None of my guys did, actually. And mm-hmm. when I did the math of what it was going to cost me to drive up to Butte and back, nah, I'm okay not going elk hunting this year. Yeah. $1,750 in my truck to get there and back. No. Ride with me. No, I ain't doing it. No. I'm, I mean, I'm driving to Wisconsin next month. Yeah, so. you're nuts. Yeah. I, yeah. I got to take the truck. I got a lot of stuff to haul. Oh, my God. It's going to hurt. <laughs> that bill's going to hurt. Because literally, that's what you're looking at right now. If you leave the state of Texas and you go up, I don't know, one or two states north, you're spending a thousand dollars. Yeah, period. I, at the end of my life, in I a look truck. back and I'm like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have spent that thousand. Yeah, I know, but still, I doubt I'm going to do that. God dang, still. it's just money. It can be made. We're not rich like you, Jesse Jones. I ain't rich. It grows on trees, man. <laughs> exactly, money grows on trees. So Jesse Jones over here, he just got back from a badass hunt. Good time. Yeah, he went to what's called the Baker Three, which we do down here in Texas. Um, even though we, you know, we don't want to get into local events, but it's a killer ranch that we go, you guys get a chance to go to and it's kind of a guy's hunt. Yeah. So, uh, it's Josh Pascoe's hunt. He buys all the slots and then we pay him back for the slots and it's 21,000 acres of low fence. And then there, and there's a little bit of high fence, but the 21,000 acres low fence. So you got axis, you got rams, psycho deer, some weird goats and some other stuff. So you get a chance to shoot kind of different animals. Right. And it's all, and you guys get assigned to pasture. Yeah. So my pasture is 1200 acres. And then, uh, so we each, there's 25 guys and there's like 25 pastures. So everybody pretty much gets a pasture or you got a pasture, buddy, you get a share. Right. So like mine is the, I have a, it's called the South pasture, then the East pasture. And me and a guy named Ross, he had the East, I had the South, but you get a lot of pasture jumping around and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I showed up or I got, I tried to get that PSE. I, as you know, I tested every bow in the shop and I just shot the PSE the best. Right. And, uh, it gave me the speeds I wanted with my arrow, and it's 70 pounds, shooting like 285 with a 485. So not too bad. And then, shoot, I messed with my rest. I pulled one rest, one vapor trail off. It kept slipping, yep. and I broke it in half. 
put a QAD on and then it's, it's timing was all jacked up cause it was just a used QAD. So then I went back to a different style vapor trail and put it on an hour before 8 PM on when Tuesday night. And then you leave it Wednesday. Yeah. So I just decided psycho. to shoot mechanicals, which worked out, worked out well. Yeah, you ended up killing a big axis on used strings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bridger put me, I told him not to put the strings on until I was like, I like, hey, man, it ain't no big deal. You can build them, but we'll put them on. If you, if you don't put them on until Sunday. Back. Yeah. yeah. He's like, well, I'll put them on when I get back. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I guess he didn't, that didn't convey he was busy or something. And then come in, come to find out he put them on on Sunday. So yeah. I shot probably 200 times Monday trying to pre-stretch him. And he let him sit for shit, 24 hours and stretch. Yeah, but yeah it didn't matter. No, they, uh. You put heat on them things, bad things happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I end up, I showed up Wednesday, got there about five and. Checked in, unloaded my shit, and then turned around, put some feed in my in my feeding cameras in my pack, and was just walking out. I was trying to find out where the rams were because I wanted to shoot one with my recurve. So I'm just walking around my compound, see some black bucks, see some axis. I stock up on some axis. I get, I had I was, I was 47 yards from a probably 32 inch velvet, and he was just a young buck, but he was a good deer. I just really didn't really want a velvet deer, and I I was a little oak mott and sitting there watching these deer and I hear something to my right and I look to my right and there's a bunch of does walking over like 50 yards and you get your 450 is like 450 bucks for a person or whatever you get a free you get a free doe so <clears throat> I'm not going to pass that up so I was sitting there and I turned over to shoot these deer and they kind of they never really presented themselves a shot because I was in a mesquite flat mm-hmm. so I had a bunch of crap in the way and then by the time by the time they walked off I looked over my shoulder and the freaking axis were 11 yards behind me <laughs> and there's one doe in the group and I kind of turned and I was on a tree root and there's all kinds of oak leaves in the bottom. So it's really loud. So I can only move when the wind allows me to move. So I sit there and I'd move, move, move. Well, finally I got pretty much vertical with the tree and I couldn't pull back and I, I just moved. <laughs> I'm like, well, they're going to bust They're fixing to win me. So I'm just going to try to stand up and pull back or just sit real quick and pull back. And they busted me out. So then I end up following that other group of does. I just still hunt. That's what I do. I, I walk 10 or 15 yards and I sit just there wait. and I glass. Yeah, like wait. in the mesquite flat, I'll get down and I just look, look for feet in the bottom of the mesquite flat. I walk 10 or 15 yards, look for feet. That, that's how I normally hunt that. So I seen some feet and I could see what direction they're going. So I worked my way over there and cut them off and I shot an axis doe at 40 yards and I kind of, she ducked a little bit. I shot her for 38, held the bottom of her belly and I hit her liver lung or back of the liver and the diaphragm and I ended up having to shoot her again. Turned yeah. her into cheese grater. But you did that. How long have you been there? Two hours. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I get a freaking picture. Two hours. Not. It's like he just left. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's already done. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I got that same picture. And I think I think you messaged me. And you're like, this bitch wouldn't die. <laughs> I, had to turn her. I mean, I hit her with a dead meat V2, which put a big, I mean, I hit her middle, middle, like Bridger Deaton, middle, middle, like yeah. that's where he aims. And she was bedded up and. I shot her. There was actually, I was walking up and I could see a raccoon. And I'm like, what? I'm like following blood, glass and following blood. And I could see a raccoon. And I'm like, what the hell is that raccoon doing? He had her bait up. He was just sitting there biting at her and he'd, he'd back up and come back and bite at her again. This was uh, a coon? Yeah, a raccoon. It was like crazy. a 30 pound raccoon. <laughs> I'm surprised like, it didn't catch an arrow. Well, I was fixing to. I only had one <laughs> left. <laughs> no, I had two. So anyway, he's, he, uh, he's messing with her. So I come over and she's kind of bedded down and I'm, I'm coming uphill. I, she was right behind a bush. I didn't want to go through the thick of the bush. So I went through the top of her shoulders and that arrow went bye-bye. And then she stood up and then I put another one in, in a good arrow in her and she finally went down. And then 
I'm walking over to her, and then I step next to this bush, and that raccoon comes busting out, just sitting there <laughs> snarling at me, and scared the shit out of me. Oh, that's I was going to go get some rabies shots. <laughs> but I, only, oh. I, I have two setups that I that I run. You know this. Yeah. I have a 15-inch front bar and a, a three-spot tight-spot quiver and yeah. my back bar for when it's real windy, and then I have my equivalizer for when it's not windy. Right. So I had that three-arrow tight-spot on it. Well, I, had, I didn't see any problem with penetration. I blew through her all three times. I, the first time I shot her, I, I walked up to where I shot her, and I was looking, and I'm like, my arrow should be 10 yards on the other side. I walked over 10 yards. No, it was 50 yards past her, like stuck no in a kid. tree. Like I blew through her and stuck into a, into a mesquite tree, and I'm like, jeez, and crackers, I should have shot a mega me. <laughs> yeah. The V2 might be a little small for that. So then uh, the next morning, I well, the, so I, what I had the Kafaru-shaped charge, just like a, it's a in-frame pack. It's not meant yeah. for hauling meat. so. I was like a mile and a half from the truck. I'm like, well, I just gutted her and I strapped her to the outside. Man, mind you, I have 40 pounds of corn and a 20-pound thing of big and J in my backpack. So then I had her, and she wasn't very big. She was 80 pounds, so I strapped her the whole bag, and I just walked her the whole mile and a half back to the truck. Yeah, then, that, was a, that would have been a sight. It's heavy, but yeah. then uh, the What's, next morning was real good, too. Well, you killed that big buck the next day. Yep. So I went in, and I got on that same group of deer, and I, walked, I got it within 30 yards of that that big velvet deer again. I just watched him and I'm like, man, I'm not, I hope I'm not going to regret passing this deer, but he wasn't, he he was a good buck, but he wasn't as mature as what I was looking for. Right. Right. He wasn't a bull. So anyway, I piddled around with them and I went and found the Rams and messed with them for a little bit. EJ, EJ and I were having a contest to see who could, uh, well, uh, she won the farthest. Yeah, see who could have the farthest shot on a U. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're, they're trying to c control the population on the U's a little bit. So we I went and played with them and didn't, I didn't end up shooting at any of them. And, uh, I was like, well, I'm going to go down to this. It's real, real dry down here in Texas right now, especially over there in Rock Springs. I'm like, well, I'm going to go to this water hole. I'm going to put a camera up. I'm going to walk a little bit farther down on a main trail, and I'm going to put some feet out and put a camera up so I can see if the rams are coming so I can get my recurve and maybe try to play with them. So I get my backpack that had the corn and the big and J in it, and I throw it on, and I start leaving the truck, and I got about 10 yards from the truck, and my dad's voice hits me. He's like, he always used to tell me, don't ever leave your truck without your weapon. I'm like, ah, I'll grab my bow. So I turn around, grab my bow, and I'm walking. I'm not even being quiet. It's, it's pretty windy, but I'm not even being quiet. So I get like 200 yards from the truck, and I come around this bend, and I just see this big-bodied axe is drinking, and I was like, son of a bitch. That's... I pulled out my binos, and I was looking at him. I was like, oh, he's got good fronts. He's short nose. He's bull, got big neck. He was weak on his left, just a little weak on his left caudal. His right caudal was good. And I ranged him at 55, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to shoot him. So I sneak up behind this mesquite bush, and... Like I said, range him 55, and he's drinking. Then he starts walking away, and I go to the left side of the bush and draw back, and I got too much crap in the way, so I run back or I work my way back to the other side. And he's just kind of feeding along, and I guessed him for 60, and you know axes tend to duck a little oh, bit, yeah, so yeah. I put 55. He was 58, 60, so I put 55 middle, middle. He was quartering away, and he ducked right into. I mean, even if he wouldn't have ducked at him in the bottom at the top of the heart, just because I dropped three inches right. from 55 to 60, three to four inches. But ducked right into it, hit him quartering away, went and buried it offside shoulder. So I didn't even, I shot at a ram like that last year and it didn't work out for me. So I just let him lay. Got went to my truck, got my Copenhagen, and I, <laughs> I rolled back into camp. And then uh, EJ was there. He was cleaning his, his deer, so I helped him out. And then uh, ate, got a bite to eat, and it was 11.30, and I didn't want the meat to go bad. And so he rolled over there, and one of the ranch hands there, Talbert, was there. We took his Polaris down there and said, where'd you shoot it? And I said, right here. He said, like, where'd you shoot it from? I said, right here. So then me and EJ are looking for blood. And EJ, and so Talbert takes off into the mesquite flat. And EJ and I are looking for blood. And EJ's like, got first blood. And then Talbert yells from in there. He's like, got him. 
he went like a hundred yards and just piled up. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah, he ended up going just shy of thirty-one. So he's thirty and seven eighths on one side and thirty and three quarter on the other. So he's, Good buck, he's though. yeah, he didn't have no ears. He, his ears got frostbit and they fell off from last year. So he has little bitty nubs for ears. That's so what EJ was like. That's why he got close he to him because he couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> It's the George Foreman. Yeah, no kidding. That's so, cool, though. So it was cool, but... It was kind of cool because in Texas, we get to hunt 365, 24-7, mm-hmm. essentially. Dude, so, I've been hunting every day this week. Yeah, no kidding. And it was kind of cool because, you know, most states, you don't get that luxury. Mm-hmm. It, there's a hunting season that's X and Y, and you got to go in that, you know, in that window. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool because these hunts, people don't realize that we have a lot of access deer. They're awesome. Spotted deer, if you can see that one on the wall there. Um they're and they delicious. and they're and they're all oh, they're amazing to eat and they're rutting right now, correct? Yep. Yeah, they're starting. They, they they're start starting their rip. summer rut now, mm-hmm. and then they'll have a secondary rut later on in the year. They hunt. They rut mainly twice a year on different cycles, but yeah. the big rut is normally June, July. And that's why you see some in velvet in the summertime and some hardhorn. That's why right. they're all mixed like that. Yeah, right. you've got exactly. your summer bucks and your winter bucks. Exactly. Exactly. So it's really cool. That's why I love this state and came here to sell a business and move and go up north and god when i figured i can hunt all year round and fish and everything nah much do you hunt? texas is good you know i don't hunt very much anymore i know it's, i tried to get you i know it's pathetic i'll tell you what i did realize though so ej set up he's shooting i don't remember what prime it's a three or a five but he's shooting 78 pounds and he shoots a 398 grain arrow yeah so me and my my buck and his buck were pretty much the same distance 58 60 yards both hard quartering and my arrow buried all the way up into the scapula and then broke off. And then EJ shooting 315 feet a second, I'm guessing. His arrow did the exact same thing, even though it was, it was 85 grains lighter. So I, I, I don't really, I don't know. Then my other buddy Sergio went out there and he shot a buck. And he's, he's having, he's had, everybody's having the same trouble that I had last year. Because I shot two animals last year, quartering away, shooting 500 grain arrow at 295 uh-huh. out of that 80-pound encore. And then... uh I, I didn't pass through, and that's when I realized, like, you're only, this is going to sound stupid, but you're only guaranteed one hole. So if I'm going to shoot quartering away, I'm going to put a mechanical and put a big hole. Big hole in the entrance. Because I couldn't yeah. find, I couldn't find blood last year. And it, right. Either on, I, on one of those animals, I couldn't find blood. And right. I, I ended up losing both those animals, but since I swapped to just a mechanical and putting a big hole shooting quartering away, it's actually worked out better for me. Because mm-hmm. it at least puts one big hole, and it just does way more damage than putting a little bitty fixed blade hole. So did EJ get in the shoulder as much as you got and everything? Yo, he, yeah, he, so I hit the T of the scapula. So I stopped and it actually bent my rod head, which I'd never seen a dead meat bend, but it right. did its job. So I'm not mad at it. Right. And EJ poked through the scapula. So the speed. Yeah. And he was shooting 315 and shooting those axis. I think you need a little bit of speed on well, your side. Because they're so fast. So then, yeah, I mean, my buddy Sergio. Well, your arrow is built for elk more than anything though, isn't it? It's built for everything. Cause I just shoot one arrow at everything. Right, I, sh- right. I just want to shoot. And then y'all make fun of me for speed, but I just want to shoot between 280 and 290 yeah. with a 480 grain arrow because I've known right. that's my that's the trajectory of. Well, known and you can kill everything years. with that. Yeah, I kind of everything. I mean, literally everything. You know, what did what did EJ say? Arrow weigh 390, 398. Yeah, see, I'm never hunting a bulldog with that. No, no way. but he's shooting his axis and stuff. Because down here. that's that's where you will see a difference. Like if you go into a bulldog's rib cage, you're going to destroy his rib cage. EJ could stick in the cage. Yeah, like literally oh, yeah. stick. But he has to be done. He, EJ's. Has two arrows. He has a heavy arrow and a light arrow. Oh, so, so he, he is running two different ones. Yeah, he he runs a five hundred grain arrow when he shoots bigger animals, Elk, and he right, shoots right, the four. Right. He shoots a faster arrow for axis because they tend to. And I, and I agree with that one hundred percent. And then uh, Ramos, Casey Ramos, was shooting a four hundred grain arrow, and then yeah, he blew through a doe at ninety. Yeah, with yeah, the I, mechanical. 
I think a deer, you imagine, though, for those listeners who aren't from Texas, I mean, we are hunting deer that literally are as big as a German Shepherd. No, that Axis, mine was Axis. 240. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, crap. I digress. Yeah. The Axis are bigger than the whitetails. <laughs> now, the Axis doe I shot was about 80, probably yeah. 90 pounds without yeah. their guts or whatever, but. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. So they're a little bit bigger body, but I think you just want. Well, the axes are so fast. Yeah, they duck so they fast. They spin on you. They they'll duck. duck you. They do some. They're ninjas, dude. That's why I, I I'm a fan of a mechanical for an axis and maybe a little bit faster arrow because yeah. you don't take you're not 100 percent sure where you're going to hit. And then if right. you hit shoulder, well, even if you hit shoulder with a lighter arrow, you're not. Chances are you're not going to penetrate as much right, anyway right, to, right. to hurt it, that it animal. Don't matter. And then they fight like that all the time. And they get gored up and everything. Yeah. So they're going to live. It's not that big of a exactly. It's, it's better than punching a fixed blade in, you know, six inches, getting one lung and having to run 800 yards and not finding them. You're just right. going to hit that scapula. Oh, I mean, no doubt. You should be able to penetrate the first part of that scapula, but with movement and everything, you just never know. No, you never know. But yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Um, if you're going to, there's a give and take between the speed and the weight. Yep. For sure. And I think it depends on what you're, what you're hunting at the end of the day. But yeah. My buddy Sergio shoots 500 grain arrow at 275, 280, yeah, something see, like that. wheelhouse. That's perfect. Yeah, but then he had Axis Doe's ducking him, and he's like, I'm just going <laughs> to, but he shoots a standard uh, 246 shaft, so he was asking me, he's like, oh, what, yeah. what What? setup you think I should run? I'm like, dude, you can run the Black Eagle Outlaw if you just want the standard shaft. I'm like, I'd run the Carnivore and run 40 grains and then run a 100 grain tip, so at least you get a little more point weight than yeah. with the standard Outlaw setup, so you can buck the wind, because usually it's windy, we're hunting wind. Wind is, that's our problem, is wind. So he wanted and it's to, been windy for the last... Uh, three ever, months, months. Yeah. ever every single day it's blowing 15 Dude, to 25 it's ridiculous yeah you can't practice outside no you can't go fishing nope. i've never you seen it like this no it's ridiculous we were oh, talking Lord. about that i think one of my fishing buddies change. <laughs> yeah you joke <laughs> i think one of my buddies did a study he's been keeping track he said since march 1st and it's now june we've only had seven days under 10 mile an hour winds seven days yeah in four months Look, it helped me kill an axis. I ain't too mad at it. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Especially well, it's with definitely easier to hunt. Oh, yeah. God. Especially because yeah. it's just like walking on frosted flakes. It's like, oh, yeah. It's been dry so here. We've had no rain. You just yeah. move with the wind. And no, I mean, you're good with that. But as far as practicing and doing oh, the stuff that. It's hard for me to practice to get sighted in. Yeah. yeah. Dude, it's horrible. You can't go outside and practice 3D. Mm-mm. Hell, no. you're definitely practicing for SoCal, even though you go to Gainesville <laughs> for. For the um, um, Gator Cup, and you guys had no wind. We had zero. <laughs> zero. Dude, that had to be a record of sorts. I am i don't know how. I the, mean, seriously. Uh, I mean, the wind picked up on like the eighth or ninth end, and it was maybe blowing about five miles an hour. And oh, hell no. I just remember somebody going, all right, the wind's picking up, and I was like, hold my beer, bro. <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is I easy. Mean, I've, been, I've been practicing in 25-mile yeah. gusts. <laughs> yeah. This is easy, but... But yeah, and you know, it's it's hard to, to do anything out here right now. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's bad. It's been really bad. No, we shot that ASA up in Fredericksburg, and it was uh, 30 mile per hour gusts, and I never yeah. got rid of a hinge so fast and <laughs> punching a thumb button the entire time. Had to come back and blank bail for about a week just to get, get yeah, my shot get back. normal back. Just exactly. embrace it, bro. Just embrace yeah. it. Just punch embrace, it. embrace the punch. I'm a puncher. Oh, you are. I mean. You're the worst. But hey, I always say the same. If you can do it. And, you know, Dude, a lot of those pros are punchers. Go with it. Hell of like I was telling you, uh, Mike Schlosser, he punches his release. The dude shot three perfect elimination matches. He shot 150s on his way to winning the whole tournament. Just Yeah, he just don't miss. Yeah. Let I it mean, rip. It's ridiculous. Punch it like Ray Rice. 
It's worked for me this far. Well, I mean, I do shoot a hinge every now and then just get my back tension and stuff. Straight. Make sure you keep your back in place. Yeah, but I, I do. Uh, well, that's the thing. Hinge. A lot of guys don't realize you can punch as long as you're using the back. As yeah. long as you're keeping everything loaded up in the right. back and you're yep. coming back. The problem is when you see punchers and doing this and they're in here and here's how they punch. And your hand stays in and the their hand place. stays in the facial area and yeah. doesn't move. That's not using your back. That's not pulling through the shot as you're punching. Mm. Big difference in that. And the accuracy, I think, is affected accordingly. Um, sure. Well, I've said it forever. My recurve taught me taught me that. I mean, well, you pluck a recurve, you come out here and you yeah. your left and right. Yeah. But if I pull straight through and touch my shoulder every time and just keep that back tension, then just, you get a hell of a lot better oh, shot. Yeah, I can see my arrow fly yeah. straighter, and it's just. Don't. So that's one thing Jesse is um, notorious for. He's kind of like our local traditional recurve specialist now. Legendary. He's got a, he's got a fan club. He it's does. awesome. No, he really does. Um, so Jesse is just as good, maybe even a little bit. No, I can't say better with the recurve than a compound, but you're pretty I, damn. I feel like inside you're pretty efficient. I'm more deadly with a recurve. Yeah. I, mean, I can be so much faster to get the sh- like shots so much, off. Like it's so much sneakier. I can just sit there and come back a lot slower, a lot less movement. Right, right, right. I mean, I, but I've you, seen it. but you can definitely hammer. You've shot how many different animals with a recurve? Now you killed mm, ten or fifteen. You killed some stuff last year. I think I killed. Six or seven pigs. Hell, he made the he years. made the Bob Lee um, Instagram page. I don't yeah. know how many times. That's good. To, I, that Bob Lee shoot's good. I have no. And Rob uh, and JJ are just super nice people. You can't. Yeah, and that's a great bow. Good thing. Oh, it's one of the best custom made recurves I think out there, without a doubt. Yep, and I shoot sixty pounds, twenty nine and a half. Twenty nine depends on the day. Sometimes twenty nine, sometimes twenty nine and a half. Who knows? Well, I know you you took your recurve because you were trying to kill a ram. Oh, dude, that pissed me off so bad. So anyway, so I, I shoot that axis over next to that water hole, and I'm like, and I have a game camera set up, and axis are coming in every day at ten thirty. So Ramos hadn't shot a doe, and I'm like, dude, I got act, and I'm you're only allowed one doe this year because of the population. I'm like, dude, I got does coming in. Like I'll build you a blind. So I go down there, and I I have my compound because I was just messing with the use and stuff. So. I got my compound out. I'm sitting there building a little blind or whatever. So I built this blind. I'm like, well, I'm going to sit here. My recurve's in the truck like 300 yards away. I'm like, I'm going to sit here for 15 minutes. I literally sit there for 10 minutes and three big-ass rams come in. Like, there's one. (laughs) EJ and I chased these rams last year. There's a double broom. There's a broom on the left side, and then there's just a regular. Like, he's not broke off anywhere. And I was like, and they're at 12 yards. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, I would (laughs) have hammered one of you. (laughs) Well, that helped pay for your, your, Your your Euro mounts. Speaking of, you're supposed to go with Paige and go shoot that. I know. We're going to decide Jacob's what we're going to do. Yeah, she wants to kill a fawn. Hey. You ever seen them? Yeah. They're so you weird know, looking. Do you know what they're. No, we looked that up. It's. So it's it's a weird thing. So it's a four horn. It comes into like I don't remember. We read it last night, but the Jacob's forearm doesn't represent the devil like you said it was. The horns represent something that was somebody lied to God about. These are the pedestals where we worship you or whatever. And yeah, then yeah, God yeah. said that's not it, and then he broke the broke the horns off or some weird kind of I don't know. I don't know, dude. <laughs> but everything I've seen on them damn four horns has been something to do with Satan. It's weird. I I don't want to kill one. I would never kill one. Just you're just his, killing Satan. His wife is his wife kill Satan. <laughs> God, his wife is like all over <laughs> trying to kill one of these things. Like, on the hey, wall. man, that's what you want. Could, honestly, if I mounted it, I'd, it's not coming in this shop, number one, because I'd go by and stare at it and it'd be looking at me all just the time. Just sage it like, every day. Yeah. Just sage it. <laughs> exactly. No. I told her she'd kill whatever. She, what, pick an animal, she'd be an oryx and kill whatever yeah, she wants. That's, that's cool. what she picked. Picked a four-horn? Corsican well, ram, Texas doll. I mean, come well, on. Well, you got a damn. She wants something that nobody they're not here's killed either. Oh, there's a reason why nobody's ever killed a four. Texas doll. <laughs> Texas dolls are nice. Yeah, she cool. saw those they're too. Actually really you have cool. the black Hawaiians. Yeah. 
black and white. So, why don't you tell funny me to story, go kill I almost killed one of those. Those things are annoying. That oh, little yeah. property that uh, we go hunt in comfort. Uh-huh. So the the owner's name is Mike, and Mike's a good friend of my uh, father-in-law's. Mike had put some black book in there, and uh, he put a black Hawaiian. And this damn black Hawaiian, every time we'd go out there to just whitetail hunt, it would sit there and, like, snort at us and hiss at us and snort at us and just blow <laughs> us. It would nasty. blow our cover. Yeah. So until one day uh, we went in, and that black Hawaiian's not there anymore. I said, Mike, what happened to that ram? He said, it pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. What about a, um, a, red, a red sheep? Like four grand, dude. Oh, are they really four grand? Yeah, they're stupid expensive. God dang. Everything's getting so high. Yeah, black book are ridiculous right now. Oh, I know. I know that's my target. They're bad. Too. They're so expensive. I've wanted to kill one for 15 years now. No. Get one eventually. Yep. Well, we want to talk about hunting. Let's switch gears a little bit. Mr. Frias. So Chris Frias over here. Um... Bow hunter last year, year and a half ago. You've been bow hunting pretty much a while. You came out of guns, though, right? Um, I mean, I've always, I guess, been a novice bow hunter. I yeah. mean, but before coming here, I I killed one doe. Yeah. And everything else was just, um, I, I mean, what led me to come here was that, you know, I think it was 20, 2019. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, about, somewhere about there. It was, it was right, you know, right in the middle yeah. of kind of the pandemic. And we went turkey hunting and I missed six birds. <laughs> And told myself I'm never doing this again. And that's what kind of like re-ramped it to like, okay, I got to get more serious about this. I can't, right, I can't right. just let it collect dust and, and right. bust it out, you know? All right. So, I mean, I, I, I've, I've had some, this past year was better. Got redeemed on a turkey, shot a decent buck on opening morning yeah. um, up in Georgetown at my dad's house, which is only on 10 acres, which, you know, we're basically shooting out of a barn. So <laughs> it's, it's hunting, but you yeah. know, they're neighborhood yeah. deer. They're, they're hand right. fed just about, but um, haven't really had a chance to do too much more hunting yeah. since then but you started out bow hunting and you come into the shop yeah. and it's funny because chris has got great form i was watching him shoot his compound you actually shot some 3d tournaments last year with the honey bow too uh i mean yeah that's that's how it started um yeah. i mean it's i mean really when, once i got it i came here and yeah. you know tack was the thing that was coming up i'm yeah, like total oh, cool. I'm a, challenge yeah. i'm gonna go do that and i was like you could win a truck i'm gonna hey. shoot 111 yards at this truck and so the whole goal there was just go through the course and then shoot for a truck. And, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. I got one entry on that, so I was pretty pumped about it. Yeah. And then broke three arrows on the Iron Rhino. Uh-huh. Um, and then it was Fletcher Brothers was the first 3D shoot and ended up winning first in that. Yeah. And then um, I think after that, it was like the um, the TTHA. Yeah. And, you know. Yep. They took the Bucks and Barbecue. Yeah. The, well, no, no, no. It was the one that was at the event center. Oh, the one, the indoor. Was that yeah. last year? Yeah. Yeah. The indoor one last That's year. the one where I was watching you guys set up and yeah. I, was, I got sick. I couldn't go. Yeah. I yeah. That. Then it was, you know, I was supposed to shoot Extreme Bow Hunter. Then I got pushed into open and I think yeah. I ended up doing, I think I, I think I placed like sixth or seventh or yeah. something like that in yeah. the open class. You were which, up there. Which I, mean, I was pretty happy. And that was literally, I, I bought a target bow in July it was July 4th weekend when I came up here to pick it up. And that tournament was, I think the next weekend. So yeah. I didn't have time to, to mess it with up. it. So, right, right, right. um, I mean, it's been a journey so far. Yeah. Crazy. He's went full, full blown in the target archery now. Actually shoot really good. This guy can shoot. I said, he's going to be one of the best. If he keeps, and he's, you, you're disciplined though. Cause you're in here working at the craft as much as you can. Yeah. After work when I, I can work after work. Exactly. So the reason we have Chris in here is because, you know, through him, we talked, joked and talked about his, his Hoyt exploits with the grip. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Jason and I have been working together now for, God, Jace, four or five years, you know. Closer to six now. Maybe closer to six. And, you know, the one thing that we do differently here at the shop, 
is that we're really big into adaptive archery. And we've got a lot of guys that shoot that are in wheelchairs, missing legs, missing limbs. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we're blessed that Roger Cost, one of our, my employees is also really integral into the Kinetic Kids program, which is a, a program similar to what you guys do Correct. for kids. Yeah. I mean, hell, he's got one girl, young girl who's blind. Yeah. Shooting a bow. Yeah. And what they've designed for her to be able to shoot is absolutely amazing. Um, and he's got some kids that are, you know, got some pretty tough injuries or tough ways to live life. Correct. And they're freaking amazing. Yeah. So adaptive archery has become a really big deal for us here at the shop. And, you know, I have been thinking about this for probably the last year, year and a half about how can we become more integrated into that, that part of the sport to help people understand they may or may not be able to shoot a bow, help them get past that. And I tell you, when it really came to fruition for me, where I said, okay, I'm going to do this, was the Black Rifle Coffee adaptive archery shoot we just had mm -hmm. before Total Archery Challenge yeah. last month. Yeah. Um, we had two gentlemen walk in the shop, and one of the guys was getting ready to shoot, and his buddy that was with him was here just to watch. Mm -hmm. You know, and he looked able-bodied for all intents and purposes, looked like a normal guy. And um, come to find out, we kind of were joking around with him, you know, why aren't you shooting a bow? And he's like, man, I can't, you know. Really bad shoulder injuries, and when I looked at his right shoulder, I, you could see it's, yeah, he was pretty jacked up. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty jacked up. He wasn't shooting a bow. Um, but through the, you know, and he had mentioned to him, you know, to us that, yeah, I get that all the time. I look normal, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of things I can't do. He can't hold the support of the bow hardly with his right arm yeah. and draw with it. So through conversation, you know, Roger was eavesdropping and said, hey, man, you can shoot a bow with a mouth tab. And the guy's like, what? So we had one at the shop. We have a, quite a few kids that use it. Mm -hmm. And it's really drawing your bow with a mount, with your mouth. Yep. You know, and it's a, it's a little piece of material that comes off where the D-loop normally would be. You draw and shoot, open your mouth, mm -hmm. you know, with your teeth. The guy couldn't believe it. Roger took about 15 minutes to build a mouth tab for him. And lo and behold, by that night, we've got this guy bow built to go shoot. Yeah. And dude, he was freaking out. I mean, it was, he did not come here with any intention purposes of doing it, but then left here two and a half, three hours later with some equipment that we had pretty much loaned him. Mm -hmm. um, and he could go shoot the event with his buddy. And I tell you, he stopped me at the event. And dude, the guy was in tears. Literally. Changed his life. No, he's serious. And you joke. You, it sounds cliche, but he did. So what he said, you guys changed my entire life. Mm -hmm. Because... He, he never dreamed because of his injury to his right arm, he could ever shoot a bow. And now we just gave him an avenue to do it. And it's, it was unbelievable. The guy's in tears with me on the practice range. And I thought, this is why I do this. This is why I want to be a part of this because this is what impacts people's lives positively. Yeah. And these guys are in the toughest of situations, the dire of straits. I mean, they're, they've had some bad shit happen to them. Mm -hmm. And for us to be able to do that and provide a, an outlet for it. I mean, it's and you, amazing. dude, and you've heard it from how many guys? Oh, I mean, a ton. How many guys have made comments to you? I've heard him make comments to me. Archery saved my life. Correct. I mean, it, it, I, I started that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I came out and I did, had no idea what I was going to do. Yeah. And then I remember being at the, at the little shop over at a uh, Lackland Air Force Base, I had some bows up on the wall. And I, I told my wife, I was like, Hey, let me, let me hold one of those. Cause I used to bow hunt. And I held one, fell over, and I was like, okay, well, that's done. Never going to do that again. <laughs> right. And you, you know Marco and, and yeah. Josue, and they're yeah. like, when I told them the story, they're like, dude, whatever, man. We're going to teach you how to do this. 
and I went and did it and it set my, my life in a whole different path. Yeah. And I've seen so many people where it does that and it impacts them so drastically that it, it, it saves their life because it pulls them out of being in a situation where they would be at home in a bottle on drugs. You know, it puts them outside. They network. They get a job. They, they meet people that, that completely change their lives. Yeah. All through. Archery. Like, yeah. All through a stick and string. Dude, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it happen to so many guys. And it's just, I wanted to say, okay, let's take this to the next level. And then meeting Chris, and when Chris built that grip, so we have another common friend of ours, an archer, um, Eric Lindsay, mm-hmm. similar situation as you in a chair. He's probably, he has less mobility in his hands. Correct. Um, I think less mobility even from his, his core. Um, and can't physically hold a bow. Yeah. He uses a mouth um, release yeah. to fire with because he has no dexterity with his fingers. Mm-hmm. And um, we've and we've had this issue since he's decided to take it serious. This guy couldn't pull a twenty-five pound diamond infinite edge. No, I remember starting him two on years a Genesis. Ago. Yeah, on a, exactly that green Genesis at like fifteen pounds. And yeah. it was one of those like, all right, dude, you got to pull this back like twenty times today, and that's all he did. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember the first time he actually fired an arrow. The look on his face was just oh, it was like, like mind boggling. Yeah, like yeah. I, this, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, and well what's cool about it is he, he also is right-handed, mm-hmm. but we have forced him to shoot lefty because of the dexterity control in his hands. Yeah, just because of the strength. Just that the strength. He has, yeah. He's got more strength in his right hand, which we now needed to make the support arm for the bow mm-hmm. when it should be the opposite, but he doesn't have enough control. Yeah. And it sucks, but yep. I mean, it's reality. So we've even changed the way his brain is processing information. And I think it's some of the battles we're having right now with his right and left, because he is still processing as a right-hander. Mm-hmm. In an archery, that's critically important, your dominant eye versus where your brain is processing that information for that arrow to hit. Yeah. And so that's been another battle we've had to fight with him um, and to try to change his bio, actually his biomechanics. All that is being reprogrammed as we go through this journey with him. Um, but yeah, when he, on our, but now... What, two years later, I think it's about two-year journey? Been a little year bit and more. A half? Maybe a little bit more. He said he's been shooting for about four years. Has it been four? God, it's time flying. Yeah, well, you know, with, with the whole pandemic and everything, that was two years. Yeah. Just yeah, gone down. Yeah. Well, I just picked him up as a student coach a year and a half ago. Yeah. About a year ago now. Um, because really, he, they, you know, I think everybody wanted to have one solid foundation. Correct. And because of what the work you and I have done, mm-hmm. it was a natural progression for me to, to step in for him. Yeah. But I will just tell you, he's now shooting a full-blown elite result 36 target bow. Got mm-hmm. two of them. Um, and is decked out long stabilizers, pulling, I think, 42, 43 pounds. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing to watch. But. One of the barriers we've had with him is because he doesn't have control and dexterity in his hand, he can't grip the bow. Correct. So he had this big glove that was just, that I think you can even buy him, but. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called a quad glove. And a it's, quad glove. Yeah, okay. and it's made for, uh, for quadriplegics. Um, they use it for weightlifting, for everything. Just pretty much what it does is it, you, you wrap your hand around the object and that glove comes around. And then it secures it to, the, to the wrist and you strap it back in and it just locks you in. Right. Uh, so they use it for table tennis for a whole bunch of stuff. And that's what he was using. Right. And so, and it was a, it's a kind of an awesome thing because mm-hmm. it allows him to hold the bow um, autonomously without help. But on the flip side of it too, is it, it puts a lot of grip torque in the bow. A lot. Yeah. Like you and I, Jesse, we all, when we're shooting a bow and you guys know, cause I always yell at you probably about it at some point in time. 
loose hands, Mm -hmm. loose hands. Your hands got to be soft, dead fingers. So Eric doesn't realize that his own injury that he has, we try to accomplish that same feeling as archers, but yet we still have some type of dexterous control over that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. So when he's wrapping that thing around and we get that grip tightened around that, it's basically like you and I, all of us in here shooting a bow and gripping that throat as hard as we can and see how accurate we'd be. We'd suck, you know? And unfortunately, it's been negatively affecting Eric. Mm-hmm. So it was awesome because it was timing. I've been complaining about it since the day I've taken him over as a, as a student. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. I need that grip to loosen up. I wanted to get rid of the grip. Yeah. That, that thing. And they tried it once. And because he doesn't have control, his arm and wrist would fold in on him. And mm-hmm. the bow would come back. And, you know, it's, it's a bad thing happening. So I was losing that battle. I thought, man, it's just, you know, okay, I'm just going to have to live with what it is and we're going to have to just deal with it. And um, when Chris designed that grip, I kind of had the brainstorm. Wait a minute. If Chris did that grip out of Kydex, the way he did it. Uh, epoxy. Or epoxy, I'm sorry. He can probably create a grip for Eric. Mm-hmm. So I, one day we were talking in passing and I said, hey, man, you want to work on a project? Because I'd already called Colby Hanley over at Ultraview and yeah. I actually called Latham over at Shrewd. And I really couldn't get either of them on board. But they're busy. I mean, these guys are running multi-million dollar archery businesses now. So I didn't really expect a lot. But I thought maybe I could get one of them just to, you know, leap of faith, jump out there and see what happens. But we couldn't do it. So Chris came to mind. I'm thinking, he's a local guy. You know, he shoots for us. And hell, anything he can try might be better than what it is now. Yeah. And um, talking with Chris, and I said, hey, man, what do you think? You want to give it a whirl? Well, lo and behold, I didn't know. He's psychotic. Give, I'm figuring out, give him a six-pack of beer, and he's done. <laughs> yeah. He'll get it done like yesterday. And, you know, the whole thing, kind of, the rest is history. Chris uh, came in and met with Eric, and we kind of talked through what we're looking for. And I could see his wheel spinning. You know, we had no primary design. We kind of just said what we wanted, what we wanted to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I think, what, dude, within two days? Um, Maybe three? Man, I don't even remember what the timeline it was. It was fast. But, but it was, he, he, or... Whoever developed the the JB weld oh, yeah. thumb hole, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, off to the side of it, which is you yeah. know, I mean, in in its in its design was you know brilliant for what it was. It's basically like a thumb hole rifle stock, yeah, off the side, so we could have some type of grip. But I mean, that didn't fix anything. No, it just made him feel a little bit more secure. Exactly, I forgot and, about that. We JB welded a big mount mounting bracket. Yeah, and it, yeah, it was ugly. And I and oh, I God. thought I was just taking that and refining it and making it look clean. And the initial thought was, well, slap a grip on the back of it, build the JB weld off of it, and then I could clean it up and cast it in epoxy, whatever color, and make it actually look clean and like a, you know, professional looking product. And right, just a, right. a big old glove. I mean, you know, thankfully the glove covered it, <laughs> but I mean, oh, yeah. it was, it was, it was a little was bit ugly. of an eyesore, but I mean, it didn't really serve a whole lot of a, a function to him. And, you know, so when we first, when I first got here and I think it was like on a Tuesday, you know, we're sitting there talking about it of, you know, what, what, you know, we could potentially come up with in terms of the, the design. And he goes, well, hey, I got a picture of a guy who has something that's, you know, it's like a box and he has a, his hand slides into it. And I was just like, well, let me see the picture. And I kind of look at it for a second and I'm just like, yeah, man, I'm sure I can make something like that. And I had almost zero idea besides I just needed to get a leather strap off the side of his hand, like an old camcorder. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to be able to hold his hand to the bow instead right. of it being fully wrapped around it. And then, you know, I think it was, 
I don't remember what the timeline was. I just remember we got back from the zoo on a Saturday and my wife, um, you know, put our son down to bed, you know, take a nap and she took a nap and I went out in the garage and, you know, you just, you know, Scott gave me a riser of you yeah. know, similar to what yeah. he was shooting is, you know, th- this is pretty much the same specs as it, you know, it should transfer over. And man, I just went to town and, and I initially had a thought of building a box around it, putting a strap on the side and just kind of sanding it out. But then, I mean, I'm not going to say by trade, but I used to make holsters. You know, I, I made Kydex and make leather and, you know, only because there's a leather strap off the side, I thought, oh, you know what, I probably could do something. And then I literally was just sitting there staring at it and just kind of came to me in an epiphany. I'm like, I'm just going to build a holster on the bow that fits his hand into it. And like a gun, like a gun basically. And so, you know, I, you know, I molded, molded Kydex around it. So it, you know, has a palm swell and fits his hand, you know, has a a slot for his thumb to go in and, you know, put a leather strap on the side so he could tighten it down. And it was just, you know, real rough, you know, prototype type thing. And I think I, yeah, I came up. No, so I came up on Friday. I think it was talk, Friday, I talked bro. to him Tuesday. I came yeah. up on Friday with a prototype yeah. mm-hmm. and just said, you know, hey, see how this fits. And, you know, the grip was perfect. The leather strap needed to be improved. And while we're sitting there looking at it, I think you had the idea of, like, yeah. you know, could you put like one of those, well, those new bows off the side of it? Yeah. So part of our issue with any of the adaptive archer I found out is that, and working with you and everybody that I've ever worked with, is that. Having dexterous control is the number one problem. Meaning yeah. you guys don't have the strength and the rigidity to turn the hand like this. I'm doing this by an, an intentions. That's an intentional movement for Correct. me. And I'm moving my hand in and out. Well, you, Eric, for example, doesn't have that. No, no, no. Eric has absolutely zero, zero hand function. Function, yeah. So when I thought, I thought, man, I thought of bowling. I used to bowl. Yeah. And I used to, I have pretty weak wrists. Mm-hmm. And... I would have to use a bowler's glove that had three rods that run from the top of the your knuckles and it runs back into your wrist so that you can't have the wrist ever collapse this way. It locks it up. Yeah. And I thought, man, if we could do that on the interior, like take a bowler's glove, and I was just talking to Chris about it. Mm -hmm. If I took a bowler's glove and turned it around so that those rods would run from his interior of his palm back into his thing, his hand can't fold this way. Correct. Which was what we all were worried about. Yeah. And then... I don't know how we got on this subject, but I know we we talked about you were having you didn't like the buckle. He didn't like his leather work, and well, it looked amazing. Well, no, so no. On, on that <laughs> it role, looked awesome. Well, you also had a friend who Jason. You had a friend that had you know a, a support rod that yeah. came off the bow to his wrist, and we're like, I was yes. like, Scott was literally just saying that, and then he liked the way it felt, and we didn't even try to put pressure on the bow or anything like that. It was just how does your hand feel in it, right? And the only thing I was gonna do is like, okay, I'm gonna remake the strap, mm-hmm. and then. I was like, well, hey, let's, if we could put one of those boas on the side, because those things are sweet. Oh, yeah. You know, and we'll just take that. So, you know, his wife, Suki, doesn't have to mess with a buckle Tighten trying to put it on. Yeah, you just ratchet one it. of those, and Scott just says, hey, grab one off the shelf. Just cut it off on the spot hog, you know, yeah. I think it was a we, spot we hog use wise a spot guy. hog wise guy. Exactly. And you know, I'm, we're sitting there holding it, and I have it on my wrist, like, you know, like you're going to shoot it. And I'm holding the bow, and I'm like, it just lines up perfect to the grip. And it's just a flat aluminum head. And I'm like, dude, we're zipping that off. And I'm putting two screws. And there's the, there's the wrist support. And what's even cooler is adjustable. You can make it longer and shorter. Yeah, to make, yeah it we is. We can make that support go wherever we want. Yeah. It actually ended up being amazing. I mean, yeah. sh- we got, we're going to video this. And we're going to show it to you, to the folks. And yeah, it turned out we're gonna put We're going to put Braden to work. Yeah, but just, yeah. just. You need to get the phone, Braden, and like, get this close up. Yeah, but j- just just the fact that, 
video know, dude is here. You know, we didn't even have to do anything in terms no. of, of terms of this. We we literally just took the the head of the release and you know drilled two holes into it so that he has the support and the ability to adjust it. And then we did end up did taking another bow and stripping it out just so he has the ability to take it off, put his hand in there, have his wrist Easily. of the first one. Yeah. His wife who assists him on everything else has to just click in two boas and and tighten it down. Um but you know, then even he even asked, you know, hey, well can we stipple it just so we have some some texture there. So I mean the the back of the riser has a lot more surface area for his palm to sit and I mean his hand isn't that much different than mine, but the swell and everything and just the way that it, it fits is is perfect. And oh yeah. It's it's comfortable. I was joking. I shot it today and I was actually really surprised. I'm like, this thing, you know, I'm not left-handed by all means. But I almost sent one over the, over the, over the bail <laughs> yeah, on accident. Yeah. Talk about punching a thumb button, but you know, and it just, it just worked. And so it was Tuesday. We talked Friday, had a prototype and yeah. I got back from the zoo on Saturday and I had the, the rough full thing made in about, you know, probably about two hours. I had this together and I sent y'all a picture and it was like, no way. Dude, um, he did. He had that sucker done so fast. But it, I've it, never even tried to put this on yet. Well, you well, got so many bracelets. Yeah, it's got you know, bite me. Yeah, you got enough wrist support. This is trademark, by the way, so nobody can take this. Does everybody know? Yeah. No, this is Scott. How many friendship cool. bracelets do you have? No, that is actually amazing because it's it's tight, but yet I still have freedom of movement in my grip. Yeah, but for you, you have full function of your hand. You do, but for him, it isolates his hand. And he's not going to torque it. The hand's no. not going to collapse. No. And at the same time, you know, it's not going to have that big old bulky glove that right. remember when you were saying that now the arm becomes the, the bow. Yeah. This at, at least has a little bit of a, of Dude, a different feeling to it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Now, and I hate to say this, this is not the good looking one. No. <laughs> it's, and it's, you know, it's like, this was, this was the first rough draft that I, I, I whipped together in, in two hours basically. And, I think the you know, Chris, following week Tuesday, I'm back up here and I was like, Hey, we, you know, we're good. You need to try this and shoot it. And you know, that Tuesday we, we, I take it off. We put it on his bow and just, just watching his groups change. I mean, you worked oh, yeah. with him a lot longer than, than I have no, it you was know, amazing. I've seen him shoot, but he had zero left to right miss. Right. And after that, it was just, up it was just vertical. Yeah, yeah. And vertical it was, only. it was just insane to watch that that change that quick and just him being able to, well, to feel a shot. And then if you probably get, got what I got out of it, I mean, then you've seen how happy he was. I mean, the guy was pumped. Oh yeah. I mean, he was pumped. And the, and the, the, the thing from the beginning was, you know, I don't, I, I wanted to help. I just, you know, Hey, can you do this? Sure. You know, let me just see what I could come up with. And I, I mean, to throw this to kind of gather and, and, you know, I guess I sound no, ignorant for saying no, this, dude, but this is, you this did. is three days. It was probably less than that. Realistically, it, well, the, the second one I built him took me maybe three hours. Dude, um, he's ridiculous. Well, he's the, so, big, the big thing. He's talented. The, the important thing here is, you know, different different archers have different uh, needs, different adaptations, yeah. and stuff like that. But you can't go to Walmart. You can't go to Bass no. Pro. You can't go to no. a, a pro shop and buy this. This is stuff that we have to create. Correct. You know, I, I shot with guys that... Uh, Guys that I've known for a while, um, and then I met some new archers this past week in a Gator Cup, and everybody has a unique, different adaptation. You know, I'm getting questions from some of the other guys like, hey, how did you build your straps, or right. what do you need to shoot, or, um, you know, there's a, there's a new girl that's going to be classified W1 in, in two weeks, 
Um, same thing as Eric. She doesn't have uh, finger movement, but she actually has wrist flexion. But she's shooting with a big old glove, and I was like, I know a guy. I know so, a guy that can help you. What's cool about this, this is what we've done, is it with Chris being, I think, just an amazing fabricator. His brain is never moved. I mean, I, I, I know just talking with him. He, you give him an idea, and he's already five steps ahead of mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And so what we're going to do, we're going to create, and working with Chris here, you know, a leading-edge arch, adaptive archery mm -hmm. division who's going to concentrate on this. And I know you're already now, he's, it's kind of weird, but Chris is now already working on a design for strapping, mm -hmm. for straps. Um, he's going to be working with, because you've done leather work before. He's getting a badass sewing, sewing machine. Sewing machine. Yeah, we're it's actually an, talking an, about that. An industrial sewing machine that he can use, and it just happened to fell on his lap from his, from his, mom, and, from his mom and dad, which is kind of cool. Um, so it's kind of like this thing was kind of meant to be. And then we're, I, I've got vision of going straight into mouth tab production with the sewing machine, get, yeah. getting those made. Yeah. And then we talked today about releases, Correct. mouth releases, shoulder releases. Yeah. There's some guys that do it, but they're kind of, it's definitely backyard mechanics. Mm -hmm. I think Chris, because of his expertise and I, I want to call finished goods, like this thing looks amazing. It looks factory. Correct. Um, and to do it as quickly as he did, you know, he's even sitting there. Clinging, this, oh, this, this is a backup for a reason. That way. The, the other he's, one he's, that's he's not here. looks better. You cannot tell the difference. Bro. Yeah. Oh, Matt, no, the other one's, the other one looks good. It's, it, <laughs> but I mean like the, he's so the, the, the whole thing with it is that, you know, I, I was, I literally, I'm, I guess I'm going to toot my own horn. I'm the guy that watches or sees it once. I'm like, I could do that. Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, name a hobby I haven't done. You right. know, I've done metal work, you know, by, by trade, I wanted to be a, you know, work in collision. I do work in collision, but I wanted to like be a, a painter. Machinist you know, I wanted, like you know, I wasn't, I, I welded, you know, I've always been an archer. I've always fletched arrows. I reload bullets, you yeah. know, I make knives and then I started doing leather work and it was just the only reason I got decent at it is because there was a, a gun shop that was next to my apartment that one of my friends introduced me to. And I made maybe two holsters. I had some basic tools and this guy's like, why well, you make me a holster? So I made one. And then next thing you know, I'm over here bartering guns for leather goods. Oh, and, I, yeah. and I'm just kind of honing my trade. And he's like, how long have you been doing this for? I'm like, that's like the fourth holster I've ever made in my <laughs> life, dude. And so just, and then it just, it really died. And I just, I didn't get, ex I mean, I bought, you know, like $20,000 in firearms just by this bartering, bartering system. And, right. you know, it's not that I was like, well, there's nothing else I want, but I just, it, it started becoming more of a, a job than it was a hobby. And I wasn't really getting thing out of it. It was just like, you know, I'm making stuff that's on a shelf. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, anyone go buy a holster. Mine's probably a little bit cheaper. <laughs> maybe it's, you know, maybe it has a little bit of touch or a color that you want. Right. But I stopped doing it and I have all these tools and I haven't built anything in probably the last two or three years. Actually, probably before that, even, you know, even before I moved, probably, you know, maybe three and a half years. And the second it was, hey, you want to, do you want to help with this? And I was, you know, I thought I was doing something completely different. I thought I was making something of epoxy. But then when it was like, okay, hey, I'm busting out the, all the stuff I used before to make, you know, holsters and, 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 and make these leather goods. And I'm like, now being able to apply it to someone who it's, it's life changing, dude, in, in yeah. terms of, and it's like. You know, when I was talking to one of my buddies about it, who is the one that introduced me, who used to work at this gun store, introduced me to these guys. I'm like, yeah, man, it's like came full circle. And he's like, dude, I think you kind of found what you were doing, you know, what, you know, what your calling is on this. Cause now I'm like, I'm excited about this. You know, yeah. I don't, you don't whip out something in two hours because you're not excited. Exactly. I, was like, I was, I was kind of pumped, but it was, it was more so just excited to finish this 
and just see how it worked. And, yeah. you know, because, yeah. I mean, sure, I, we, I could make it work good for me. It feels good to me, but what is the finished product going to do and what does it change? And just watching him immediately just shoot those groups. Yeah. I'm like, I could not imagine. And it's like, everyone's always looking, people come in this door looking for the secret sauce. What is it going to take to get me to yeah. be a better shot? But yeah. to know that I could actually make something to bridge that gap for someone, it's, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's what was kind of cool for me. You said it a second ago. I think the big thing is, is that you can go buy a holster anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the holster you built for for Joe Bob, Billy Joe Bob, is his favorite holster until he finds the next favorite holster. Yeah. Does it make sense? Absolutely. So there's really no, I mean, I understand what you're saying. There's really not a job satisfaction in that. Mm-hmm. But now you're designing something that, that literally change somebody's yeah. life. Yeah. Like, I mean, something like this can possibly take somebody all the way from shooting here to winning a Paralympic medal. Yeah. Oh, it's, 100%. It's that big of an impact. Even if it took someone from not shooting to shooting. Exactly. That's worth it. Is, is, yeah, just, just that alone. I don't care if I built this for someone and they only pull it out during hunting season or just on the occasion they get time to shoot in their backyard. If it, if it gets a bow in their hands to where they could do it, yeah. you know, hey, that's, that's worth it. Yeah. You know? Because before that, they had, like you, mm-hmm. there's no way I'm going to ever be able to do this. Yeah. Hell, Eric said it. I remember Eric saying it that, ah. It's not going to happen. I'll try it. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to do it. And no. uh, you look at the guy and he's freaking, you know, yeah. Well, then full-blown archer. Well, then it's, you know, his wife, Suki's asking, she's like, well, what about his straps? Oh, like, yeah. Can you do anything with that? And I sat there and I was like, yeah, you know what? I probably could. And then, <laughs> then she, then she asked about the release too. Like, do you think I was like, you know, now I'm like, you know, fully just immersed. Yeah. Just where it's, it's oh, yeah. what I've just been kind of thinking about. Like, as soon as I get off of work, I'm sitting there like, okay, what, you know, how can I improve on this? What could we do different? And then the sewing machine thing just kind of fell in your lap. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, you know, my, my, my stepdad, you know, was starting a, a business kind of making, um, like cornhole products and bags and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hey, when, when he goes in, he goes all the way. And so he got the baddest sewing machine there was, but it, there's a lot of setup involved with it. So he got two different units and this one's just been sitting. It's, it's made to, it, it's called a, a sailor, right? But it's made to be on boat on a boat to make a sail in a or repair one so it's super overkill but it's perfect for, for this these type of applications or yeah. the strapping that goes on here so you know it, it all of a sudden it's like my deal right now is how can i improve on what we have existing or i was asking jason like is there anything you want to do because <laughs> yeah. i'm like i'm about to get well, this machine and see what we can't you know can't what we can't do with it what's going to be cool about this is what you want to learn is that every guy every gal that are in that such situ- uh, whatever situation they happen to be in is a work in progress. There is something that they're going to have to have that you're, we're going to have to modify or design yeah. or change that is going to be specific to them and their injury or yep. their uh, the adaptation requirements. And it'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. Yep. Never be That's the same. Absolutely. And yeah. the, I mean, the beauty of that, that machine's portable. So you know, I, yeah. I could meet y'all up here after work and work with someone to, to make modifications or do whatever. Yeah, and exactly. you know, that, uh, you know, kind of, kind of excited to see what the journey is going to look like and what, you know, what we're going to be able to do yeah. and who we could kind of help from there. And, you know, it's like, this is, you know, it's almost like a prosthetic. It's, it's, it is. it's, no, one, it's definitely one of one, a prosthetic. it's made it's specifically a for yeah. someone. Yeah. That's too, that's a great analogy because that prosthetic is custom fit for that individual. Mm-hmm. And that's what this thing is going to think is going to be like, you know, my vision for this is that eventually sometime. And if, if we keep going as fast as you can go, you know, we go to a U.S. archery event with our booth and we've got prosthetic type products, designs 
to help those archers be better. Yeah. You know, or somebody's, you know. Or just, I mean, you can always go to a, uh, <laughs> like a, a para-archery camp. Mm-hmm. You can go to a camp and, and, you know, that's when you, when you get a lot of the emerging athletes, you get a lot of the new guys that get invited to camps. Right. And you can kind of gauge what everybody needs. It, it meet different people with different needs. Right. Um, there's, there's other people out there that are doing stuff like that. You know, you've got uh, GX4 Adaptive that made Eric's release. Um, but that's one company and they're way out in the East coast and the, the need is, is, is out there. It's huge. Yeah. You can't put it all on, on one person to do it new no. and you know, they can take care of that side. We can take care of this well, side of the, and, of the country. And the other thing is, is that even we're here in San Antonio and a lot of people don't realize we're the largest VA. It's military city, military for, a city for a reason yeah. for, for uh, unfortunately soldiers that have, have got catastrophic injury. Yep. You've got, you've they got here. You've got retirees, um, retirees that, that retired just 100% normal, retirees that were medically retired with some kind of disability. You've got injured uh, service members with catastrophic injuries. Some of them are physical. A lot of them are internal, uh, mental, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the need in San Antonio is just, it's, it's beyond what we could even imagine. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So with that being here and that type of demand, we should be able to help a ton of people. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, and that's what I'm so excited about. I mean, Jason, I know you're really connected and integrated into, I think, BAMC, is that what it's called? The med, med center where you guys go to? Um, I'm more the of VA, a VA. On the yeah. VA side, I'm sorry. VA, but no. But, but you, with being connected there, yeah. I could, my vision is that we could be maybe, maybe working directly with those guys on to projects like, like this. this. Not yeah. just in bows, it might be no, guns. I mean, it could you've be got a lot of shooters. You've got a lot yeah. of air rifle shooters. Um, you've got guys that uh, that that do uh, table tennis. Um, you got guys that do bocha. You know, there's different sports for different folks out right. there, um, and you just got to go out there and find them. And there's there's some big events that San Antonio hosts. You know, you've got the uh, Texas Regional Paralympic Games that happen usually in the spring. We used to have the Valor Games in the fall. I think that's on hold for right now. But there's Endeavor Games up in Oklahoma. That's in coming like up two weeks. Yeah, um, those attract people from all over the country. And I mean, you've got you've got people from kids from Kinetic Kids um, to adults with different types of disabilities that are just dying to dying have an opportunity. Dying for that kind of help. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, to be honest, there you reach a point, and I reached that point where I was frustrated. I was done. Um, I got to a point where I was like, I might just quit archery because I cannot find a way to, for me to shoot uh, and have the right stability and everything. And, you know, it just clicked one day. Yeah, exactly. I, I found somebody that helped me. Um, and that's what that's what you can definitely offer, Chris. People yeah. people are going to be out there hitting that 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 wall and you're going to be the, the guy to help them push through it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty excited about it because this this thing was amazing. Yeah, it for is for you to do it. As I quick a, I as you question. did. Yeah. Who's the real engineer? I don't know. He's pretty damn good. <laughs> well, uh, so let me tell you how this works, actually. Usually an engineer is the brain behind it, and then you have the fabricator who actually makes all that stuff come to fruition. Mm-hmm. I think Chris is both. You missed your calling. You could have been a hell of it. You could have been a hell of an engineer. <laughs> I mean, Because you don't think up this shit without having that kind of maybe you're just an inventor you need math for that that's that's that was that <laughs> was you really, hate math that was no i did not do well in math whatsoever <laughs> I, don't math well either. I don't i don't got enough fingers and toes to, to do it all i know uh, is i could you know that's caveman tactics that that form that well, let me tell you what dude. redneck ingenuity Ex- there you, exactly that. that caveman redneck and ingenuity is pretty amazing dude it's it's ridiculous this thing turned out 
far better than I ever it imagined. It is freaking awesome. I'm, yeah. I would have never, excited. I mean, when I, when he first brought it in, my mouth was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Cause I did not expect this. Well, I was, everything. I was expecting a much more smoother JB weld. Yeah. Stuff. Dude, I was, I was sitting outside shooting when he came in that morning and he's like, check this out. What do you think? And I was like, holy shit. Dude, he texts me. Awesome. Yeah. Like two days later, I'm like, no way. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he bought this stuff and, you know, just did some bending here and there. I, I will tell you molding that Kydex is no fun. No. I mean, there was <laughs> that, that is the hardest part of it. And I went through about four sheets, um, which each sheet, you know, kind of two. And so I had, I was like, okay, I have eight attempts on my hand is basically yeah. what it was. And right. so it's like the, the first three were botched. And then I was like, okay, I, I kind of have it down on the first one. Then, when I went back in the garage and started working on the second one, I was like, I can't get it. And I was like, I need a drink. <laughs> then, <laughs> no way. You know, I kind of just relaxed for a minute. I'm like, okay, let's go it again. And you know, it's just it, it, every time I'd always get these projects, it's like, it's, you know, not that I'm like cutting corners, but it's like speed is the major factor of like, yeah. I just I head down and get it done and, and just get it off my bench. Basically. I, mm -hmm. I literally didn't think I'd see it for like a month. Yeah. I was I, saying two to four weeks would be cool. I kind of told myself that too, until I just was like, I was going to build a holster and I'm going to use Kydex and I'm going to use wood and, and, and leather and just, and, and throw it together, you know, basically. But, you know, as, as time permits, you know, um, I mean, I want to be able to help as much as I can and, you know, between balancing, um, you know, my, my professional well, you career got, well, and everything. So a lot of people don't really, well, you, nobody knows, but yes, Chris is gay, uh, lovely married, has a little one. How old is Munchkin? Uh, I think he's right at 15 months, 15 months 15 and 16 and has another one in the oven. Yes. I mean, we have, we haven't officially announced <laughs> oh, that yet. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. We got to edit that out. <laughs> oh, I just, I got, uh, no, no. Hey, I mean, the, the, I mean, not enough of my friends are, are listening. Let me just put it that way. Okay. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, but no, no you're going to be a busy man. Yes. I mean, I like he's been busy if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it works. I mean, then, then of course, you know, you know, work is, is always, you know, well, you, know, you man it. You met your manager for yeah. I'm a, I'm I'm a director of operations for one of the the largest or larger um, collision repair centers out there. So so you have no time. Um no um but, <laughs> you know but you know it come it comes with its own. You know I love I love what I do and you know I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I'm going to make this my yeah, new job. Right, 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 um, right. I mean who knows what the future holds. Um but you know e even in that that role um you know, it's, it's primarily just leadership and yeah. coming down to, um, just support for my entire team of, you know, the, the 80, 90 employees that I have, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting there just crunching numbers. I'm on the ground trying to help as much as I can. And it, it's just being a support mechanism. So, you know, it kind of bleeds over into this is, you know, Hey, how can I help? Right. What, what can I do to make your life easier? Exactly. Basically? Yeah, exactly. If anybody gets in any, uh, Bender bender drink thing. You just need yeah, to just call Chris. Yeah, okay. yeah. He'll get taken he helped care us of. out after our little Arizona accident. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever know, heard about that. No, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk. That was funny. That was not funny. That was death defying. Oh, I yeah. can just Cartel. imagine Scott yelling, "Help me, Jesus, save me!" <laughs> no, I wasn't saying that. I was just thinking we're going to end up uh, being somebody's play toy south of the border. Well, you, I was going down swinging. Yeah, exactly. Fly, baby, I'm, I'm dying. God damn. <laughs> okay, so real quick, we'll go over what happened. <laughs> so me and Jesse go to Prescott. Oh, no, we're up near Prescott, Arizona for a big mule deer hunt. And we're coming back, and it was what? Like two, 1 in the two morning. 2 o'clock in the morning. 2 in the morning in, on Tucson. A, in Tucson, Arizona on a Saturday night. 
and we stopped to get gas in the hood. Mm-hmm. So this is the coolest part. This is not the coolest part. That's pretty funny. So I go inside and I'm like, Scott, you want anything? He's like, yeah, I grab me an energy drink. So I go inside, I grab some Reese's eggs, Copenhagen energy drink, that, yada, yada. Come back out. On the way out, this customer comes in and it's two in the morning. So there's some shady people out. Oh, yeah. And he tells the clerk, he's like, hey, man, there's a guy outside smoking crack on your, on your, or getting high or said something like that on the side of your building. And the, the clerk or whatever is like, yeah, I know they do it all the time. And I'm watching this, by the way. So, so then I'm there's a freaking cop in the store. And he walks out and turn, takes a hard left and goes to those people that are smoking crack and joins in. Joins in. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, and I'm watching this. I'm super excited. Like running to the truck. I'm like, Scott, there's a cop smoking crack. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're freaking out. Yeah. So the <laughs> cops are not there to administer anything other than I want to partake. Yeah. You know, and I'm like thinking, holy crap, it's two in the morning. You know, the freaks come out at night. That's all I'm thinking about. So we get the gas filled up, get the truck filled up. And we're pulling out. I roll to the stoplight, <laughs> Dude, and I have crazy. a red. I have a. It's a red. Well, light. no, back up a little bit. We get to the entrance exit of the gas station, and I'm. I remember thinking there was nobody on the road. It was two in the morning. We looked left. We looked right. Nothing. No, I turned. I took a right, and, and you stop, turned right. No, then he turned red. right. But when we and then looked, I'm though, opening my Reese's egg, and yeah. I look back up, and the light's green. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. So I'm like, all right, I look down. And I put my leg, or I have my egg in my one hand. And I look to the left, and I see a truck. It's like 40 yards over. And I, did, I, took a, I just took a right turn, and we go about 10 feet, and I just get, or we get smoked. smoked. I mean, just hit us I dead mean, center. smoked. The truck, like, the truck came out of nowhere. And then I dropped my Reese's egg, and I'm pissed. That's what set him off? I, oh, no, I was like, bad. I was pissed. So I, Mine Scott, is Scott, up in the dash. Scott, Scott's whole body, because it's got... I'm not a it's very big guy. Belt, but Scott was in the window. In the windshield. And he, he just up, crumpled up and gets back and he's like, dude, you just got smoked. And, I'm like, and I yeah. look in the rear view mirror and I can see the truck back there. So my first instinct is get out, check the damage, make sure the guy's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I, I, open, I put it in park. He puts it in park. I we get out of the truck. Yeah. Doors. We go to the back and all of a sudden you hear the son bitch start his truck up. And I'm thinking, that's well, weird. You can hear him cranking it. Scott and I yeah. don't even get all the way out of the truck. No, we're almost. not even out of the truck. So, He's sitting there cranking. I'm like, well, he's going to roll up and we're going to exchange information. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, anybody that drives a 2001 F-150 four-door King Ranch, it's all buttered up in Tucson. You're a real dickhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so anyway, he revs it up and just starts squealing his tires. And I'm like, oh, shit. So Scott's halfway in the door. I slam this, I slam it in gear and I, we start going. And they're up next they're they're up next. We're going to side to side. Yeah, this is crazy. So then I'm like, well, he got his. I'm about to get mine. So I just sit Could there. Could you see him? What? Could you no, see him? No, he's dark tinted windows. windows, dark tinted windows. So I just slam in the side of the rear quarter of his truck and I turn him and he's like a T-bone and I'm just sitting there and his tires are squealing. I'm pushing him. And then this is where Scott freaked out. Scott's so no, they'll go get worse. So he, he smokes the guy in the rear quarter trying to spin him out. Yeah. The guy gets around him and just punches it. And we go to the on-ramp and Jesse's doing literally 80 or 90 mile an hour. No, he no, bullshit. No. You're backwards. You're backwards. He's hauling ass. It's 120. No, I'm so I, he turns sideways and I push him to the light and Scott's punching me like stop. I mean, we're, he's like stop, stop. He's like where? He's like the freaking cartel. And so I'm sitting there and I already have my. No wait, he's already got his gun racked. Yeah, he's getting ready to go throw hands with the pistol. I mean, this is getting crazy. And I'm trying to think. It's two in the morning in Tucson, Arizona. We are 45 to 50 miles from the border. Mm-hmm. This son of a bitch doesn't want to be caught for a reason. Yeah, he doesn't want cops there. He decided, I'm going to go run after smoking this guy. Let's Jesse T-bone. I mean, dude, how big is a dent in his rear quarter? I mean, he yeah. smoked him. 
I'm talking his rear quarter. It turned him sideways. Yeah, it, it, it turned it. him I, sideways. I Bennett's frame. Oh, Bennett's frame for sure. We were doing at least probably, what, 40 or 50 at the time when he hit him. I'm talking hit him hard. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy doesn't want to get cut that bad. He's cartel. The cops are smoking crack. Yeah, and the cops are smoking crack. already messed up. Like, yeah, yeah his airbags never deploy. went off. Yeah. They wouldn't deploy before that. And I'm thinking, right. we're going to go get in a gunfight or try to chase this guy who's going towards the border or to his boys. We're going to get killed. Yeah. And I'm freaking out. Yes. <laughs> I did. I freaked Look, out. I finally got through to him, though, and he stopped. Because <laughs> Jesse to, I, was seeing nothing but red. Oh, yeah. The blood red. Uh, I'm going to go get my piece of this guy's ass. You know, I've I've done that before where I see red, and then I remember I can't move my legs. This is not going to work <laughs> out for me. Like, I got to take it easy. Yeah. I damn so, Reese's egg. <laughs> so anyway, this guy drives off. I'm at the stoplight, and I'm sitting there, and I put it in park. Scott's like, oh, get down, look at the damage. He's like, oh, it's not too bad, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't give a shit. So then I just grab my Copenhagen and put a big old upper deck, lower and upper decker, and I'm pissed. So he turned around. He's pissed because I had to let him go try to kill the guy. <laughs> so I wouldn't have shot him. I, no, if he but, would pull the gun, I was just ready because I had my gun. You know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I thought the gun was going to get pulled for sure. Anyway, cops. It probably would have. Cops oh, never no. showed up. None of that. BS. No, they were smoking crack. Yeah, bro. No, shit, you was, joke. He probably was, was the so operating excited. officer. Yeah. Yo, dude. I was so excited. I'm like, Scott, there's a freaking cop and he's smoking crack. <laughs> It was crazy, dude. Oh, man. Yeah, I did not want to be any part of that. I wanted all of it. There's there's <laughs> places where you just don't go at night. No. Downtown well, we Albuquerque. I mean, Tucson. You dude, think? It was the only gas. I mean, we were almost out of gas. We were. And it was a, we were on the west side of Tucson, so it was kind of like the last gas station before we get into yeah. the boonies again. Tucson, so we had no choice. Downtown Albuquerque, you don't go out there at night. Yeah. You know, dude. you don't go downtown New Orleans sometimes. Well, I didn't realize how close we were to the border. I had no clue we were that close. I mean, it's not too, close. too close. Yeah, it's pretty damn it's close. It's not El Paso close. It's within it's, 40 miles. That's still 40 miles. That's close. I mean, I grew up I grew up 40 yards <laughs> yeah, from the border. Yeah, I worked like I throw a freaking rock over the fence. Yeah. Yeah. We used to tee off on the fourth green at, at uh, Fort Brown Memorial Golf Course and hit balls in New Mexico. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Projectile trespassing, if you're wondering. <laughs> Projectile trespassing. Game Warden taught me that. We didn't have that back yeah, in 98, Jesse. <laughs> no. That's back in, in WWNOM. Anybody that's wondering, if you shoot a deer and the arrow falls out on somebody else's property, that can also be considered projectile trespassing. Really? Game mm. Warden taught you that one, yep. too? Wow. Guess I better go find those hogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got a few out there, huh? <laughs> yes. Oh. Man. That's cool. Yeah, that was a that was a wicked evening. That's for dang sure. Yeah, after being up since three thirty in the morning. Adventures. Yeah. I don't know how we were in a soul even functioning. We were so tired. I I hear your pain. That's that was me on Sunday. I don't know how I you got up at four o'clock in the morning, no. got ready, went and shot eliminations. Thankfully no. Angus Moss took care of me and early. Yep, make made it an early day. Uh, Gavin and I were back at McDonald's getting breakfast at nine thirty. And booking it out. Back into the room, packed, and I was on the road. I think I left uh, my hotel at eleven thirty, and then just drove straight through. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. When's this podcast being released? You want to tell the Buckler? What about Vid Guy? We gotta wrap it up. No, 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 the, no, no, the no, no. Buck the battery's the getting low. Buck Branch or whatever the the Buck Branch weekend, shoot? yeah for the yeah Valdi kids for the Valdi kids yeah that Valdi stuff was horrible. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And we just did one for last week with the Fletcher Brothers shoots and raised 2500 bucks. So that yeah. check's been written out and going to them. Okay. Which is kind of cool. And, and there's uh, one this weekend. And there's one this weekend, too. Yeah, we're, I think most of the organizations, you know, were trying to support that the entire thing that happened down there. It was terrible. Well, yeah. I don't want to get into the political ramifications of Absolutely, that. but it's just a tragedy. It. It's horrible. Yeah. Dude, people just suck. Absolutely. It goes horrible. back to what I said earlier. People suck. 
Mm-hmm. People are stupid. I mean, we just got we got to be better. We just aren't very good right now. There's there's bad people everywhere. There are. We just need more good people but, standing up for what's right. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I I'll I'll get religious on people, and I've said it before. Um, there is no more truth and consequences mm-hmm. is a problem. I remember when I was that kid's age, sitting in the pews with my grandmother in a Southern Baptist church in Dayton, Ohio, getting read the right addict out of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That You do stupid stuff like that, you're melting the rest of your life. Of course. Pain, suffering forever. I hope so. To eternity. I hope so. Life's going to suck. Mm-hmm. The rest of your life is going to suck in hell. Yeah. So it got to you. I mean, I think about it now. I mean, it's part of what I think creates your moral compass. Mm-hmm. We don't do that anymore. Everything's and I, I mean, I hate correct. to say, and I hate to say it. Christians as a whole don't do it anymore. Yeah. I think Christians, me as a Christian, I take responsibility for that because we go to church now, and it's all kumbaya. It's love your neighbor. We love each other. Love everything. Love, love, love. There's love. no more right and wrong. There is no more right or wrong. They don't want to preach out of the out of the part of the Bible that talks about the ramifications of things that you screw up on mm-hmm. and decide not to do well. Well, it's, and that's what we don't teach kids today. Yeah, you, you think don't about want to it. offend anybody. I haven't heard a sermon on that in a long time. And, dude, I can't remember it since mm-hmm. my mom was a kid. You know, I went to, you know, nobody is talking about that side of it. Yeah. Satan, demons, you know, the right, the right and wrong and the ramifications of being right and wrong. I mean, he's real, dude. And he's out there having Doing his way right like now. This. Yes. You're going to yeah. tell me that kid was in his right mind and not being controlled by something bigger? Yeah. With, with more effect? I mean, of I'm course. sorry. That has a lot to do with discipline, too. No, nobody's disciplined. <laughs> no. It, well, it goes back to that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, part of the church, when we brought up in the church, is be, having that self-discipline or creating that discipline to do what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. We don't have, I said that word, uh, there's a two word that comes to mind. We don't have, and we're not teaching, I don't think, I don't say we as uh, as a society, but as a whole, there is no moral compass. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look what's on the radio, on TV, at the movies. I mean, it's, yes, I enjoy it like anyone else, but I'm also 53 years old. So I know I can separate what's real fantasy, whatever else. But you get a kid who's 15, 14 years old and you see what they're watching on yeah. YouTube and things like that. They're impressionable. I was a dumbass when I was that age. Mm-hmm. Thank still God. A, you're still a dumbass. I'm still a dumbass. <laughs> but thank goodness my dad beat the living tar out of me. I mean, yeah. I'm not afraid to admit it. Served a purpose. It was border in today's world is child abuse. He's oh, going to jail. But today I thanked him for every one of those spankings. Without a doubt. Yeah. Needed to happen. And we don't have enough of that in today's world. Because Yeah, if I'd have if I'd have just done something stupid like teased a kid on the bus and it got back to my dad. Oh yeah. Game over, dude. I was terrified of my father. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I screwed up, not only did I get cracks at school, I got them at home. Well, yeah, you got so disciplined for somebody else having to discipline you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Been there. So in George West, that's where I, fin- I originally grew up in Creed, Colorado, and then I moved down here when I was 15. Right. So in George West, you got SWATs. So when my dad figured out that you get SWATs, he rolled up to the principal and said, you SWAT that some bitch as much, much as, you, as can. you need to. So exactly. I got SWATs because I'm just an You're bad. <laughs> But I, I mess with, you know what, I just oh, mess yeah. with everybody. Oh, yeah, I mess with everybody. I, mess with exactly. teachers. I was getting swats, you know, multiple times a week. Smart mouth, I can imagine. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. So oh, then yeah. I get, we, you, you line up, you're, you're allowed six swats a day, so you get three in the morning, three in the afternoon. Or you get ISS, but if you got ISS, you couldn't play, you weren't allowed to compete Plenty in sports, sports or whatever. So I got swats, and I was a smart-ass getting swats, too. One time I got three swats, and I looked back at my principal, and I said, thank you, sir, may I have another? 
And he's like, well, since you asked, here's one, here's another one. And then I did some other stuff that I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. But we still, there were consequences and we knew it yeah. going into it. And <laughs> in today's world, there just isn't any. I Think about it. What's a, what literally, what does a kid get? In? You know, I was, we were talking, well, I ain't going to talk about that. I mean, there's a, well, Melissa and Paige were telling me about Bass Pro, which shocked me. Um, about theft. Uh, you can't do anything. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, do you think it's okay to talk about this? Maybe real quick. And it. I don't. Well, I don't want to encourage people to steal. No, no, no. But I know what you're getting at, and it, it's so, not just that story. It's that multiple stories. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I was shocked to hear Paige tell me because she used to work at Bass Pro, and Melissa confirmed this. You could go in as a shopper, and she said it happens every day. Take what you want off the shelf and literally walk out the front door. They can have surveillance, watch you in everything, mm-hmm. and they will not stop you. They let you walk. Correct. Let, so Melissa told me, yeah, yeah. no, 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 they don't do that. So they, no, they don't even, there's zero because they, they have a policy. They will not prosecute. So they, it's just gone. It goes into their write-off account and it's history because they were talking about one time. Melissa said that she had been there for three or four years. And the only time she knows that they ever got involved in a prosecutorial program process of that, a guy stole two pair of Swarovskis. Okay. Somebody was seeing him put him in his backpack, went to the manager and said, Hey, really? You know, this guy. And they're like, We know. We've already been watching him. Let him walk right out the front door. The only reason Bass Pro got involved is they got notified that he was stealing them and was using them as part of a bigger crime ring where they were selling used these products online or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, they ended up prosecuting the entire program. And Bass Pro joined as a prosecuting business because yeah. their product was there. Most of that stuff is being brought home and used, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever. Once again, when I was a kid and that happened, your ass getting tackled before you get out the store, probably getting a beat to death, half to death. Yeah. And truth be, truth be known, what the consequence would be after that. I mean, it was horrible. Well, you remember the signs going into stores back then. They would, they would have these signs that say, oh, we yeah. prosecute, we prosecute to the full extent of the law. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't no, see those very don't, often. They don't do it anymore because no. of... I think because of attorneys and civil rights and whatever else you want to call it. Well, dude. it's just a bigger, softer world. It's just crazy. So my dad. And they wonder why these people or kids are doing what they do today. My dad, whenever we lived in Colorado, he ran his own construction company. And he'd always tell me, I mean, we, I've never stole anything, nothing like that. Because he always, he always preached. He said, I would rather hire a murderer than a thief. Like, and, it, and that's stuck in my head for my whole life. And I've right. never sto- stolen anything. There's no... I don't know I I always want to do what's right and I try to do what's just and that's how my dad raised me and we we weren't raised in the church or anything but we were raised with discipline and right. I think we me and my little brother and sister and my older brother we all turned out all right. Well, there were consequences. Yes, that's the thing. So you got to figure out what consequence works on each child. Like my dad, he he he'll tell you to this day. He's like, I could beat your ass. I mean, beat your ass for one thing, and you do it five minutes later. He's like, but. I take your BB gun or your tin away, and not let you go do what you want. He's like, then you'd listen. So you got to figure out what works for you. What works for a tin of kid? No, I agree. Yeah. It's kind of like the script. You just got yeah. every individual is different in some yeah. sort of way. Mm-hmm. But you know the problem is, though, once again, is there are there any consequences in today's world for anything you do wrong? Think about it. There's very very little nowadays. Mike Tyson said it the best, man. There's no consequences for people. They don't get punched in the face anymore. <laughs> Dude, Until you joke. <laughs> yeah, you joke. Yeah. Because now you got to worry about getting sued, but that's yeah. what needs to happen half the time. You need to get decked. 
You well, know, yeah, but yeah, now you get sued or you get shot, like yeah, assault charges no against you, fighting people. I mean, that's yeah. what we did in high school. Good we'd old go fashioned out, fights. We'd get and be one on one, but now you got to worry about people shooting you. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I'm pulling out a gun to stab Somebody you. calls my arrow out. Yeah, it's just decking dudes somebody. decking them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it was a twelve. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, unfortunate circumstance. It was a horrible thing, and I hope like heck it never happens again. But Lord yeah. knows. This but country. the the big the big thing was. Uh, there's a shoot going on this weekend. Yes, uh, right. to support that. Yeah, um, over Buck Branch. Buck Branch, and I imagine nationwide, there's got to be things going on all over the place to help the the families. Yeah, with that uh, with that tragedy. So, man, if you can, we know things are tight right now because of money and the economy. But just but, come but, out yeah, and shoot. Just come out and shoot our shoot, or go to an event that your location is hosting. Yeah, across the country because we know we're getting a, a bigger footprint with our podcast and. Just local. Yeah. Um, but get out there and do something to help that community because that's... They need it. They need it. Dude, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. I absolutely just couldn't even imagine. I yeah. don't... That's unbelievable. Yeah. Twisted. Twisted. Exactly. All right, so. folks. Well, listen, we appreciate you listening. We um, please... I know we always say this, but we haven't gotten a lot of, hardly any feedback lately on mm-hmm. our Instagram releases. Are you still posting on Instagram for releases, though? Not really. Maybe kind of, yeah. Maybe we should do more of that so we can get the info because there's got to be stuff out there people are wanting to hear. Yeah, and we're just kind of swinging away, so um, swinging for the fences on this stuff well, half the time. But yeah, I think we we say it all the time. You but can I'll, only set up a bow so many ways. There are, and only so many ways you can shoot a kill an animal, or so many ways well, you can do this. That's, that's why I'm so excited about this stuff because this is something we can help people with. Yeah, it's new. Yeah, it's new, and this is something that means something to the individual that is maybe think. And uh, so I'll say this in closing. I am learning that if you have the desire to shoot a bow, I bet you there's a way we can make it work. A hundred percent. Yeah. I don't care how bad you are. Let's do it. There's a way we can make it work. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in the, uh, in the gun world. Yep. We, we had a guy that he couldn't move anything other than maybe a little bit of his head and his mouth. And he had a joystick in his mouth and he had this big old machine that he could, and, and a TV screen. And that screen was connected to a scope. And with that joystick, he could move his rifle all the way till he aimed at the animal. And I think he shot like a world record uh, Texas doll. I saw this on TV. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what I'm saying. You can do it. We can probably figure it out. If you want to shoot a bow. We definitely know somebody out there that will. Yeah. So, man, and that's where this was the whole purpose for this was because, man, I tell you, it's a, it's a great sport. It's cathartic. It is definitely therapeutic. And we, we can find a way. I'm, I'm sure I could figure something out. Yeah, and this guy right here, I'm we'll telling you, he's going to be like, he's the, he's the, we'll knock it the out. MacGyver. Yeah, we'll knock it out one six pack at a time. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Let's do this. That's why I just feed him beer. There you the, go. Idea, the ideas will flow. In closing, uh, put yeah. a sharp pointy thing on your arrow and yeah. put it in the right spot and it'll work. That's right. There you go. Exactly. All right, we appreciate you guys listening. We'll catch you on the other side. Keep shooting and we'll talk to you later.